All right, we're going to bring the meeting back to order. All right, good evening. Welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local cable television station, QAC-TV7. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public meetings. In addition to our live audience this evening, we are providing remote options for citizens to watch and participate in county commissioner meetings. Citizens may watch our meeting live on our website at qac.org live or on our television channel, BreezeLine Channel 7 and High Definition Channel 507. Citizens may also participate by joining the live Zoom meeting by going to qac.org slash public comment. Citizens may also email comments to public comment at qac.org. Comments received will be summarized during the press and public comment period on this evening's agenda. We acknowledge everyone's participation and by attending you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. Press and public comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you do care to speak, please sign the sheet on the information table out in the lobby. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. We will now stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Jim Moran. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If you can remain standing for a moment of silence for the three angels and the three heroes that lost their lives yesterday in Nashville. Thank you very much. All right, commissioners, uh, our agenda for today's meeting, March 28th, along with the regular closed and sanitary commission meetings from March 14th have been circulated for review. Uh, any additions or corrections? Uh, motion to amend the agenda to include two action items. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 A motion to approve the agenda as amended and the minutes as submitted. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 <clears throat> Very much. All right, thank you, commissioners. Okay, we just uh, completed a closed session uh, to under general provisions, article section 3305B1 to discuss boards, commissions, and personnel. And I do believe we have a few um, motions uh, as a result of that closed session. Yeah, make a motion for the Broadband Advisory Commission to reappoint Allison Davids and Ed Cummins to an additional three-year term and to appoint James Benson, Jared Ricard, and Miles Randall to a three-year term. Second. We have a motion to second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. All right. I, I move to appoint uh, Gary Mangum to the Spending Affordability Committee. This term will begin immediately and expire on March 31st, 2025. Second. A motion is second on this one item. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. I move to execute the contract with Bruce Berriano, lobbyist, to commence on July 1st, 2023 and expire on June 30th, 2024. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion on this topic? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay. 
I move to approve a stipend in the amount of $1,800 per year for the Police Accountability Board members and the Administrative Charging Committee members. Do we read all three at the same time, or do we have to Let's do, do them a second? They're different motions. Okay. Second. We, we have a motion and a second. Any discussion? For the public, uh, Todd, you want to give a little background for what this is and why we're doing it? Sure. Um, as a result of the General Assembly's um, uh, motions uh, and decisions last year, we had every county in the state of Maryland had to create a police accountability board to review essentially um, conduct uh, of all law enforcement agencies in each jurisdiction. As a requirement for that, we uh, have now established a police accountability board, which is a, a panel of seven members and an administrative charging committee that reviews um, and pr pr proposes charges for uh, police officers that, that are charged with uh, misconduct in the line of duty. There's also a trial board that if, um, if necessary, um, a charge would go to the trial board. All, these are all citizens, uh, uh, volunteers uh, on these boards that would uh, review the administrative charging committee's charges and, uh, and make a final determination on that particular officer. So this is a, a brand new uh, series of boards and commissions and they are fully operational at this time. Very good. Mm -hmm. So that's where we have basically they're going to get a stipend and this is what these motions are for and the first one that we're discussing is a stipend in the amount of $1,800 per year for the police accountability board members and the administrative charging committee members. Any further discussion on this topic? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 <clears throat> Opposed? So moved. All right. Uh, I move to approve a stipend of $500 per trial for the trial board members and a stipend of $750 per trial for the trial board judge. Second. We have a motion and a second on this. Uh, any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Um, I move to approve a $300 per diem for required training for the administrative charging committee members and the trial board members. Second. We have a motion and a second on this last item. Uh, any further discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? So moved. There we go. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. Okay, that brings us to our first uh, press and public comment period on this evening's agenda. So thank you for taking the time to express your views to the County Commissioners. Comments are limited to three minutes per person. Comments longer may be submitted in writing. The Commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. When you come forward, please speak clearly at the standing microphone. State your name, your address, and your topic of interest. And in keeping, the, keeping with the dignity of our office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. Okay, uh, first up on the list is uh, Mr. Blanton. How you guys doing? Good. Um, Chris Blanton, I live in uh, Churchill. Um, I came here a few weeks ago and I spoke on school funding. Um, I guess it wasn't received very well, and at one point at the end of the meeting, I was called stupid. I don't think that's a real respectful way to treat voters, taxpayers, taxpayers, and citizens. I was told that I gave certain information that was specific to getting into a school, school shooting, stuff like that, because I was talking about how school funding, there needs more, you need more infrastructure 
and more funding towards that as opposed to a $20 million Board of Education building. That's not necessary. School safety. There was just a shooting yesterday. That's all public knowledge. How many temporaries that there is in the county is public knowledge. Sheriff's Department, public knowledge. Everything that I said here was public knowledge, yet I was called stupid. How dare you, I don't, Mr. Korcherina, call me stupid for bringing up things that need to be brought up. That's not right for someone to do that, call someone stupid, when all I want to do is keep kids safe, teachers safe. Chris, it's not appropriate to... It, but it's not appropriate to call I, me stupid either. I understand, but and we not, don't need, not we don't told, need to point hey, out names about, of anybody. But I was called stupid. Do you it, think that's okay? Mr. Blayton, we have a statement that's done before press and public comment for a reason of the dignity of the office. Mm -hmm. Nobody said you were stupid. Yes, sir, you did. No. Absolutely. You can rewind I the tape. I did not. Yes, sir, you did. All right, we're I done. said a way of going about something Go ahead, is not sir. the right way. So. You Make your stupid. point, but you don't attack My me. My point is I'm not stupid. Don't attack me. Okay. Well, we, we've established so, that. So back to it. The $20 million does not need to go into the Board of Education building. $20 million should go into school safety, school infrastructure, school resource officers. That, that's what I'm asking, is that we reallocate that money for better infrastructure in that aspect and not for a Board of Education building. I don't think that's necessary. And I wonder how many county residents actually know that $20 million is going to go into a Board of Education building when we still have kids learning in temporaries. So thank you. I respect all of you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Would anybody else like to speak? We will close press and public Very well. Uh, we actually got six emails, but they're all exactly the same. So I'll read one for you and then list our names. Uh, I, Sheila Corsi Willis, would like to enter into public comment that I am in support of Paths of the Past Walking the Kent Island Railroad uh, on the meeting to be held Tuesday, March 28th, 2023. I would like to request the support of the Queens County Commissioners for this project to help keep the history of Kent Island alive. We got similar emails from Alexis Henderson. Sheila Willis, Nick Weidman, Kay Schultz, Julie Eaton, and Robert Willis. Thank you. All right, we'll press some public comment. Moving on. Okay. All right, commissioners, uh, we can now move into our presentations for this evening. If you want to turn to tab number six. And first up, we have uh, Amy Mordock, Director of Planning and Zoning. So if you want to come on up, Amy, and I believe uh, Vivian Swinson, our Zoning Administrator, is going to join her. So your presentation is in tab six. Also, we have it up on the screen as well. And Amy, you have the... have it right here. The advance yes. button there. If I okay. can work it properly. <laughs> All right. Uh, good evening. And... Um, Thanks for uh, giving us this time slot this evening to update you on some projects. I know that you're pretty well informed about a lot of things that, that we do in the department, but we're here tonight, this evening to give you a full scope. And I'm going to try my skills right away. I want to start at the end. <laughs> With questions? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> Everything that we're sharing with you this evening, all of the statistics that we're sharing with you and the projects that are completed on the permits that are processed long range and um, 
planning development review and the uh, planning end. We accomplish all of these tasks with the full team that you have um, funded for us and given to us over the years. We're fully staffed um, and we have a really strong team that assists Vivian and me to uh, accomplish all the goals of the department and to serve the citizens of the community to um, provide expeditious service and uh, we have a committed team that is really dedicated to serving the community, making sure that everyone's uh, property rights and the financial investments that our citizens make when they walk through those doors are respected and that we're being very cognizant of, um, of customer service. So I just wanted to start with our team. So uh, Vivian and I head up the planning and zoning divisions and we're supported by John Shelton, who manages the office. Um, John is supported by um, his uh, office coordinators on the planning end, specifically with uh, Kathy Johnson and um, Ann, uh, I'm sorry, Kathy Maxwell and Ann Johnson and Sandy Carter. Um, between them, they staff the uh, technical committee, Kathy Maxwell, uh, has long been the clerk to the Board of Appeals and the Liquor Board. Uh, she supports the planners and the inspectors and Vivian with Board of Appeals cases. She also supports the Liquor Board expertly uh, with our new uh, newish liquor inspector, Amandi Calvert, who's been with us for a while. Um, our planners are uh, led by our long-range planner on the development review side, uh, Rob Gunter, who works with uh, Steve Johnson and uh, Doug Summers. Stephanie Jones heads up as our principal planner and heads up the long-range planning division with uh, Rob Tracy. And then on Vivian's end, she has uh, three um, zoning inspectors, uh, Joe Pippin, Ken Southard, and Mike Olds and uh, they not only take care of inspections and enforcement, but they also staff the Board of Appeals and Vivian assists them in, uh, in those duties. We have five really strong permit technicians and our uh, permit tech supervisor, Kendall Laramore, um, assists uh, Vivian in the management of those permit reviews, so I just wanna acknowledge uh, Debbie Towers, Caitlin uh, Schisler, Megan Peake, Nicole Miko, and Laura Foster. I don't think I left anyone out. But we have a wide range of years of experience uh, with the county um, and with uh, professional expertise. So we feel like we really have our bases covered and we have a team that supports one another. Um, so I wanted to start with that because now that I go back to the beginning and talk about um, what we've been doing, you'll have um, the names that go with the projects. Okay, and I'll let Vivian start. Okay. So right now the new development, the major development is still going on at Four Seasons. Paris Retreat is the second development that's going on and the other new houses are throughout the county with the ski district still being a number of houses being built there. Um, the other house, other development that's going on is with COVID, people work from home, so we had a lot of people retrofitting their houses for offices, playrooms for kids, 
and other things to make the house more accessible for being home 24 7 and yeah. then pools were a big uptake in permits yes yeah, so to explain sort of that context is traditionally we average what like 16 to about 2,000 yeah we're averaging between 1600 and 2,000 permits a year and then that went up to we're up now we're up over 2,000 for the last two years and also likewise you see since 2018 the surge in single-family dwelling permits and that includes the multi-family that Vivian was just talking about so the permit tax are busy and, and the inspectors um, so in addition, on the uh, planning side, um, our planning commission uh, looked at uh, citizen-sponsored text amendments last year. There were five compared uh, up from three the previous year. Um, two of those have been adopted. They haven't all been successful. Um, there were uh, one text amendment that came from this board, another came from staff. Uh, there, this year we saw 16 comprehensive rezoning requests and a rezoning of the areas that were reduced uh, through our growth area reduction and rezoned uh, through the successful completion and implementation of our comprehensive plan. Uh, we were, we've been uh, consistent the last couple of years with major site plans also with uh, major subdivisions but you see there's an uptick in concept plans uh, in the last year and we have a lot on the back burner so there's going you're going to see a surge in uh, site plans in the next uh, in this next uh, planning cycle we changed our extension request policy uh, the code is pretty clear that a project once it gets an approval as long as it's moving forward it doesn't need to come back for extensions but it had been a standing policy that if the project hadn't begun within six months, you had to come back and get an extension. But we relaxed that policy to just follow the code, which gives uh, applicants two years to get started uh, with the site plan. So those numbers have changed. You probably are familiar with seeing a lot of extensions. And uh, that's a customer service extension that we gave that eases that process. Um, you know that we have a growth allocation uh, request that's moving through the process. We didn't have one in 2021, and we have uh, the, um, I just lost it. Uh, we have the growth allocation request, and it's going to be on a later slide, that is going before the Critical Area Commission uh, soon. The Board of Appeals has had a lot of cases, um, and that's where a lot of staff time has been uh, dedicated as Vivian noted uh, some of the uptick in uh, COVID related construction <coughs> projects required variances um, so we had some of those we've had uh, conditional uses and uh, two general appeals there was um, and those appeals are uh, kind of rare but we did have one appeal of a Planning Commission decision um, I think there were actually there were two appeals of planning commission decisions. Um, there have there was almost 300,000 square feet of commercial space approved in permits this year, and um, that is an uptick from 2021, which was just over two well significantly over 200,000 square feet. And again, 
we're uh, averaging over 2,000 building permits every year. Um, armored storage, that's what left my head. That's our, um, that's our growth allocation that's currently going through the process. Um, Bay Bridge Marina is another major uh, mixed-use development site plan that is going through the process currently. Chesapeake Square is a 21-unit apartment complex that um, has received a concept review and is ready to come back this summer for a um, site plan review. And, um, just, and uh, the Royal Farms, which was a highly controversial site plan, that, um, process, that project was tabled over concerns, uh, safety concerns over the traffic on the <clears throat> date. Um, I do know that the applicant is working to address those concerns and come back with a revised site plan. Um, and some of the Board of Appeals projects are the, uh, some, uh, the Ingleside Mining Operation, which is in phase three. Uh, that received an approval and they've submitted a permit that's under review now and hasn't been approved yet. Uh, the uh, R.B. Baker and Sons major extraction um, that was approved for concept plan and is pending Board of Appeals review. Uh, the Hole in the Wall Gang, uh, which is a redevelopment of the Aspen site. Uh, that received a Board of Appeals approval for a youth camp uh, for children who uh, have serious medical conditions. That is an exciting project. Uh, that They received their conditional use to occupy the space as it is, but they have big plans for expansion, which will be wonderful for the community. That's going to involve probably growth allocation um, and some of the updates in cha the Chapter 14 critical area program were contemplative of some of those needs as we're looking at uh, that plan update. Can any of that property be used for anything else besides the hole in the wall gang? No, not under the current approvals and under the current zoning. And that's why to expand that use, uh, which is their desire, that's why there will be further review, but that review is specific to that project. Any other proposed use would have to start from scratch because it's a resource conservation zone uh, under the critical area. Um, Hope Fellowship uh, received an approval and I believe they're ready to submit. They are ready to submit their permit. They have their grading permits been issued, got issued in February, but they haven't broke ground yet. And it's off of 544, not far from the Royal Farms, going towards. You advance the song. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Did I go too far? No, I didn't. Um, Eastern Shore Exodus is a project that um, had been approved a while ago, but then came back recently for some modifications. So it received a reapproval of its major site plan, and it has permits. It has a grading permit to start the site construction. And kind of exciting and timely, Slippery Hill also uh, received their approvals. <coughs> they have completed construct, or they submitted their permits, and we have a groundbreaking ceremony tomorrow. So that's nice. Uh, Ken Island Crossing. Uh, this is a project that received growth allocation about 10 years ago, and they've uh, come back with a concept plan because they have changed uh, a part of that ori original site plan 
the use is a lesser impact, so it wasn't required to go back through the growth allocation process all over again, um, but it will have to do an updated um, adequate public facility study for the new use. <clears throat> so we're looking for that in the, in the upcoming year. And here are a few more. Uh, the Whitetail Land Group is a major subdivision that came in for an amendment, and that wasn't an amendment to configuration or an addition of lots. Uh, that was an amendment to a, a yard buffer adjacent to agricultural land. Bluegrass Solar received a lot of attention this year. Uh, they had received their approval and have been under construction. Uh, Vivian can probably share some details about that process. That project is about 99% complete. They have some landscaping items that they need to address and some stormwater. And then once those items are addressed, they will be issued an occupancy certificate. And we hold bonds because I know that has been a community concern. Uh, the, the landscaping has had to have been enhanced, some plantings replaced. Yes. And we continue to hold bonds to ensure the survivability of that, those plantings. Um, so if you do hear question, get questions about that, um, we do inspect regularly and we'll have to ensure survivability before any of those bonds are released. Um, also the Postal Road Apartments, uh, that's another project, a 30-unit apartment building complex, which is under construction. It's under construction, yeah. Um, I don't know how many inspections they've had so far, but... They are still working on the structure itself. They haven't requested. The last I looked, it was like a frame and on the second floor, so they're doing it floor by floor. Um, <clears throat> so I mentioned some of our uh, text amendments. Uh, we had talked about our text amendment process because, like I had mentioned, we had five text amendments. Uh, we don't always receive uh, completely well-conceived applications. Some people just have some ideas for text amendments, and then as the review continues, um, they may not cut the mustard, but these are two that, that uh, were successful. Um, one of them uh, was uh, a result of conversations that the applicant had with Vivian to begin with. The Canal and Yacht Club. <laughs> uh <-huh>. um, <laughs> uh, where there was an identified need uh, for this limited um, RV parking under specific circumstances. We do not write text amendments that were uh, review text amendments that are site specific. So you have to be very careful when a text amendment is submitted that its applicability um, doesn't set a precedent or isn't a spot zoning request. So this application uh, of this code is applicable to in the WVC district to um, bona fide fraternal organizations in the district. Um, so it serves a need and it also uh, allows uh, is equitable and allows for this use. Uh, additionally, this was another, this was a tricky application from 2021, and this is a conditional use for a utility scale solar project that has a, um, a basis in our approved district. We have the uh, utility scale solar overlay <coughs> district where we allow these utility scale projects. This application would allow for an expansion beyond the district as long as a portion of the project is located within our mapped district. 
Um, this was favorably supported mainly in light of case law that has begun to weaken local jurisdictions' authority over siting, and it was decided that this was probably a reasonable compromise to ensure that we still had a voice at the table to make sure that our zoning standards were being enforced. Um, we haven't seen an application yet uh, specific to this um, need, but we're also hoping that showing this level of flexibility will put us in good standing if uh, we ever need to be directly involved in a certificate of public convenience and necessity case with a public utility law judge to show that we have been um, attempting to address this need. <coughs> um, we did update our fee structures uh, recently, which and we brought that before you. There were some um, aspects of our fee schedule that were unclear to applicants, especially as relates to amendments to plans that have already been approved. So we uh, made sure that uh, that was very clear and consistent uh, between projects that are coming back for amendments, whether they've been constructed or have not been constructed. Um, we're also continuing, and that was a joint effort with uh, multi-departments, with the Department of Public Works, and we continue to collaborate with other departments uh, to implement project review. And in this case, we're working with DPW and Parks and Rec to um, find projects within the county where we can utilize some of our critical area afforestation money to meet those requirements. So we're required to plan on public properties when we collect fees. <coughs> Excuse me. And so we're working to find appropriate locations uh, with our uh, colleagues throughout the county. Um, Stephanie and Rob and the rest of the staff continue to update the Chapter 14. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, I had strep throat last week, so I'm still I'm, I'm over it, but um, I still have some side effects. So we're working to meet that goal to update uh, the critical area program and to take into account the Woodlands um, text amendment that we also um, asked you to allow us to fold it into that plan. And we had promised to bring something before you in the summer, and we're still, we're still on course to do that. Um, we're also partnering with the um, Economic Develop and Tourism team to, um, as a part of our zoning code update, there are a lot of things we want to address, but one of the things we want to address is our agritourism industry. We had attempted to put forward a, um, a text amendment to address alcohol production facilities about two years ago. Um, that didn't quite work out the way we would have hoped. So. Um, in conversations with our economic development team, we thought, yeah, this would be a great idea if we brought in um, a consultant to help us to maximize that uh, land use and make sure that it's consistent with our updated comp plan and with our zoning. So with that said, I'm almost wrapping up. Uh, we have completed the comp plan update. I don't think I'm going to spend a lot of time on this because you were very directly involved 
It was a two-year process, and we did uh, wrap it up in 2022 um, with the enactment of the comprehensive rezoning requests that were very specific, and some of those zoning changes were now in a position where we're starting to report out on our implementation of the comp plan already. Um, we're hoping to have an implementation report in this year's annual report. Um, there won't be much to report on yet because we enacted it in May. Um, but we are already working on some items and we're uh, already in a position where we're looking to update, update the code. And we know we have some very specific priorities connected to our mixed-use development, our main street zoning districts, and our um, sewage policy challenges. And so these are our most pressing needs, and we want to address them first. Um, so that is next on our horizon. And this is the team that's going to get it done. So. So what is the status on the Marydale solar project that was approved three years ago? Have they run out of their uh, time frame for development there? Did, I mean, because you have to re-up after so many years after you get your CPCN through and you get approval. Is this the Jones Farm? Yeah. That's coming back. So they, they hadn't received their CPCN. They have now received it. Okay. Um, and they we're looking to they're coming back for a site plan review this summer and that'll be the largest one we've had in the county correct i believe yes okay so i think that's four six hundred acres it's huh? 600 i think so okay. i think it was 100 it's i think it's close to 100 megawatt maybe even a little bit more so okay but that one didn't meet with any push i mean it got through all the law judge and everything i wasn't at that one and nobody showed up to it so do you want to interject anything on those the legislation side and what's going on and where those bills are that we HP 692 right the, we, the ones just, that yeah. they're going to usurp all of our powers yeah. basically explain what HB your your uh, house bill to yeah oh so, saying the solar you mean yes yes, yes. so yes. the solar bill uh, we've been very involved there is a uh, a house bill 692 692 um, that basically mandates that local jurisdictions issue permits for utility-scale solar projects. There's a lot of other language uh, included in the bill, but the bottom line is that a, a local jurisdiction must issue permits. So uh, through MAKO, uh, we've been involved, but also our planning attorney, Chris Drummond, has been at the table uh, with us and individually meeting with um, with Mako and legislators to discuss the 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 step that we need to be cognizant cognizant of before we get to permits, which is following uh, local zoning practices. And in our case, uh, we have very clear zoning. Uh, we have reasonable zoning. Um, we have put forward suggested language. I sat on a make a subcommittee where we put forward reasonable language, and uh, Chris Drummond did likewise. Uh, I don't think that that language was um, included in any amendments moving forward. And the bill right now, uh, 
I don't know its status. It uh, will be pushed on to the Senate um, and I mean, as of now, it hasn't passed the House, out of the House yet. But I mean, I guess the biggest problem we have with it now is the fact that they, they're running up against the clock for the 2025 mandate to have 50% renewable. And we're only at about 15 to 18. And over the last two years, you've seen more bills come in that are trying to strengthen the state's position to get to that 50%, which are typically going to usurp county control over a lot of it because they need to get to that 50%. So I think this is just the beginning. This is the camel's nose under the tent to be just inundated with stuff over the next at least two sessions to be able to meet this goal. I, it's impossible to meet it. A, the, the building time frames could never meet it at this point. You could never get there in two years. I mean, we're in 2023, and they got to be built in 2025. Right. So that's why I asked about the Jones Farm, because that's a, that's a pretty big project. But it's still only 100 megawatts. I mean, it, it's really not well, even a dent. Well, and what the public may, may not know or may know that we adopted, I believe it's 2,200 acres uh, in a zoning for where we wanted solar to go with our regulations, with our buffers. And what this bill basically will do will, will usurp all of our, our powers, and wherever mega solar wants to go, it'll go. Uh, we won't be able to control where it goes. Uh, and I will say that uh, Jay Falstead has worked very diligently on trying to defeat this bill and did a little bit of the math, and it comes up to about 35,000 acres of solar that will need, the state will need to get them to the number they want to be, 35,000. And if you divide that over 23 counties, you know, that's where we came up with 2,200 acres, basically. Well, it looks like that it could very well all be forced upon the eastern shore, where it's yeah. flat, where mm -hmm. they don't have to clear trees, it's flat, they get their biggest bang for their buck. Uh, and we will lose a lot of fertile farmland. And I'm, I'm for property rights, so if that farmer wants to do that, that's all good and well, but I think that the state needs to also kick in. If we're gonna take on the burden, the majority of the burden for the state with solar, then the state ought to be doing something for us. So, you know, that's one of the discussions they're having, but, you know, I, I hope that these bills die or, or get into committee in, in another year so that's uh, but i just think they're going to come back again that's the thing yeah, i think right. they're because yeah. last year they had something similar to this but it didn't really go this far to just say you know what you're just going to permit last year it was okay you know we're going to reach out and we'll work with the counties and if it's reasonable we'll move forward but now it's just nope you're going to permit if we say so at the state level <clears throat> and then i mean that's literally just basically getting down to the point that they're that they're going to point where the solar is going to go we'd like to have a little teeth in that process i mean obviously with with the buffers i mean with the way that we have those buffers set up now for solar array i mean by the time those buffers are grown up you can't even see the 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 uh solar arrays from the roads or and that and that by design is really what our goal was and and so that's what we're fighting for at this point is to have some seat at the table when it comes to the mandates of building these things at least we get some say and our zoning illustrates a reasonable attempt and, il and illustrates reasonable use, and that had been a part of the CPCN process, was to look at a local jurisdiction's uh, zoning. Is it reasonable? And if it is, it should be given due consideration. And so the due consideration aspect um, is what we're fighting for, and, and the equity in the application of reaching that goal. If we've worked this hard to have 
a reasonable option for this land use and to support this state goal, mm -hmm. then there should be equity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plus, I don't think they've exhausted all their other options, um, school parking lots, uh, brownfields. Um, and I know there's talk of chicken houses. We've got enough of them over here that if they were properly supported, you could put them on there, which is not disturbing any other land that is there under the use it's under. I mean, you go to the college. They have that nice, the way they did that solo in that parking lot affects mm -hmm. nothing, does a great job over there. Mm -hmm. Well, mean, you yeah, know, the, got plenty the of state's been very school. innovative in some of their, some things and some things not. But, I mean, we have pollution credits. You know, we have carbon credits. There ought to be solar credits. I mean, you know, I, I think that well, that's... You talked about that that one yeah, time. And, yeah. You know, using I mean, it for WIP credits. Well, well that's another I mean, thing. We haven't got to that. That You know, that, again, it's the best BMP practice yeah. is solar. So that qualifies for, you know, if you're not putting down chicken manure and fertilizer and everything else, we ought to get the credits for it. That's a lot of acreage. Yeah. And that goes towards our WIP. And we're already out in front on the WIP. And I'd like to see us either further out in front. So, well... Well, we had that conversation. It's been a few years, but maybe it's time with a, maybe the new governor or yeah. sit down with his new staff over there and have the conversation again and see what kind of traction we can get with it, because it does make sense. You're not using it for farmland, so you have no, it's negligible on the runoff, right. what it's doing to the streams yep. and rivers. So. Yep. And we need those credits now. Yes, we do. Yep. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Vivian, you staying out of trouble? Yes, I always awesome. do. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> she was the first person I met when I came to Queen Anne's County. <laughs> Came in and got my permit for building my house from Vivian. So. See, you should have denied the permit. See what yeah. you've got now. <laughs> Had you said no, this would be a different place. Yes. You never know. You never know, you know who you run into, Vivian. You never know. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Well, thank you. March on thank and you. keep up hey, the job, great work. Amy, I thank would you. just say on behalf of our first great first responders, there is a concern if one of these transmitters catches on fire, that sucker's going to burn for a week. For days. That was so, a bill that, it, that didn't. You know, there needs to be a plan. The conversation's being had. They didn't put a bill in for it, per se. It was floated, but it's it's definitely going to be a future conversation. It was a lithium battery bill. It was, but yeah, it Jay, was but it, very Jay, watered Jay down. Once yeah. they start, they don't stop. Right. You can't put them out with 10,000 gallons of water. They just burn. And they're toxic. It, extremely. You get into the the streams and the rivers. So that's the good news. Most of the green are toxic. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, commissioners. Uh, our next presentation, our next presenter is uh, Miss Shannon Hanawald for Endometriosis Awareness Month. So we have a pro proclamation here as well. So um, to read it. Come on up. Yeah. Better sit down first. Hi. How are you? Good. Welcome back. Yeah. Have a seat. Have a seat. Thanks. Yeah, come on up. Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you guys the, well, you can pass these around. Yeah. Um, three years ago, Thank I you. started an advocacy and support group for endometriosis. Um, endometriosis I'll takes... Just talk with the microphone. Okay. Three years ago, I started an endometriosis support group and advocacy group. It's called Endo Warriors of the Eastern Shore. Um, I really had absolutely no idea what I was doing, but I just wanted to make sure that nobody went through what I went through. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit of my story. Um, my name is Shannon Pinder-Hanewald, 
and I always make sure to put my maiden name in there because that's who and where I was when this journey started. I draw strength from it because everyone says that I'm stubborn, and I know I get that from my grandparents. They worked hard, they loved hard, and they supported hard. When I need the strength to fight this disease and advocate for others, I always come back to how strong, stubborn, and resilient they were, and it gives me the strength and courage to continue doing what needs to be done. Endometriosis is a disease that affects all aspects of your life. Emotionally, mentally, and physically, endometriosis can take everything from you, and it did to me until I decided it was time to fight back. Fight for awareness, education, and support so that generations after me do not go through what I and so many other women have. Endo is a whole body disease, and while the last two years I focused more on the physical side of things, such as infertility, excruciating pain, and other immune disorders that are common, I have decided to bring more awareness to how this disease affects you emotionally and mentally this year. My pain started when I was 15 years old and started out as a doctor saying I had ovarian cyst rupturing. After that, my pain just increased and the help and the knowledge from the doctors decreased. My parents took me to so many doctors, I had more CT scans and ultrasounds than I can count, all coming back with the results of nothing. How was that possible? I was in excruciating, debilitating pain that nobody could seem to help me with. My parents started to believe the doctors that I was just trying to get out of school. And honestly, when I look back on it now, they didn't really have a choice. I had severe depression and anxiety because nobody would listen or help me. I felt alone and dismissed by everyone and I didn't know what I was going to do. The feeling of being dismissed and made out for people to think that you were lying is a feeling I would not wish on anyone. They are feelings that I long ago buried and tried not to allow back into my life, but I know in doing this mission I have to be completely honest and brutal if needed so our family, friends, coworkers, and even acquaintances can understand the feeling they share when you look perfectly healthy on the outside. When I was 17, I was at a point where I didn't want to live anymore. I was alone, tired, in pain physically and emotionally, and I was done. I was a shell of myself, going through the motions every day. Having the people who were supposed to protect and help me think I was lying about how I felt was defeating and crushing to every part of me. I decided one night I was done. I went and I got one of my prescriptions and I took every last pill in the bottle. My mom just happened to walk in and saw what I had done. She called 911, they gave me the, car, the charcoal to get the medication out of my system. I was sent to a rehabilitation center. At the moment I decided to swallow those pills, I didn't really have any feelings. I didn't think about how what I was doing would affect anyone else. At that point all I really thought was, I can't keep doing this. Nobody believes me, I'm scared and I'm tired of fighting, but maybe it was in my head, maybe there really wasn't anything wrong. After that night, my perspective changed. I don't know why and I don't know how, but I decided I was going to fight. I was going to figure out what was wrong with me and I wasn't going to let anyone else feel the way I did for the past two years. Nobody should want to take their own life because of how people make you feel. It took me a long time to be able to let the anger and hurt go towards my family. After five years, I finally found a doctor that would listen to me, and as soon as I told him my symptoms, he said, I'm certain you have endometriosis. Endometriosis, what was that, and why had nobody even mentioned this to me or my parents? The only way to diagnose endometriosis is through laparoscopic surgery. No blood work, no ultrasounds, no MRIs, and no CT scans. We scheduled my surgery, and sure enough, I had stage four endometriosis. That was the first of my 14 surgeries to try and help remove the lesions to help with the pain. The next obstacle was infertility. 
Growing up, you don't think about not being able to have children because that's just something that women do, but that wasn't the case. Knowing something was wrong with me and could prevent me from being one of the things I wanted most in this world, and that was to be a mom. The mental impact it has on you is debilitating. I felt not normal, damaged, and discouraged. Unfortunately, there are women who lose the mental battle with themselves over this disease. Many women have committed suicide because of the impact endometriosis has not just on you physically, but mentally as well. Endometriosis takes on average about 10 years to receive a diagnosis. Endometriosis has taken so much for me. I've missed many important dates and celebrations with family and friends. It took away my ability to have children like other women. It took a baby from me during fertility treatments, a baby that was loved and dreamt of. It is still a continuous battle for me daily. I am not the mom or wife that I want to be all the time. The guilt of always not being a present partner for my husband or the full-time hands-on mom I want to be. The guilt I have when I have to cancel plans with my friends or playdates for my children will probably never end, but I will always remind myself that they still love and support me even when I don't. My mission is to change this. We need people to listen and understand when we are talking about how we feel. We need not to be made to feel guilty because we have to cancel plans, miss time from work, or because we spend more time at the doctor than most. The more we talk about endometriosis, the more women and their families will know they are not alone in this fight. It will hopefully give them the courage and strength to fight for themselves, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. I want the word endometriosis to be known as well as if someone says they have an ear infection or strep throat. I know some women do not want to speak publicly about a disease that is so personal, so I will speak for them. Endometriosis has no cure, only treatments. Doctors will tell you to have a hysterectomy, but that does not stop it from growing on, on other organs. Endometriosis has been found not just on pelvic organs, but on the lungs and brain as well. It is imperative that we all work together and support each other through this journey. My passion and driver, because I do not want anyone to go through what I have, but I have chosen to fight because you never know who is watching and learning from you. I always go to the quote, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I ask you to remember just because someone looks okay on the outside, it doesn't mean that they are okay on the inside. If someone says they have endo, please remember this point in time. Endo affects each of us differently. It is a complex disease that requires numerous specialists for each patient. There are no two stories the same. I just want to make sure that no other girl gets to the point where I was when I decided to take that bottle of pills that night because I know people don't want to talk about feminine issues because it's uncomfortable, but if that's what we have to do, then that's what we have to do because I refuse to let anybody else go through what I and so many other women have. So I want to thank you very much for supporting this and helping me bring awareness. And I know that the women in our communities are very thankful. I hear from many of them and it says that it, it gives them strength and it gives me strength. I wish that I would have known 20 years ago that I had people that would support me when I didn't think that there was anyone. So, well, Shannon, thank you. thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. We do have a proclamation we, uh, we'd like to read onto the record. Patrick, if you don't mind. Can I have your permission to read it? You can read it. I mean, I can read it if you don't want to read it. It's completely up to you. I'd be honored to. Okay. Uh, I, I do want to speak a little bit on behalf of the folks starting from Margie to this guy. I've only been up here a few meetings and I have to say that 
we talk a lot about mental health and behavioral health. I'm, I'm really shocked at how, how open we are about this and that we know that there's a crisis. Yes. And I'm not saying that we can do anything about it, but we, we understand. We really do. We do talk about it. We obviously don't understand the endometriosis part of it. Right. But um, we do talk about it. Whereas March is Endometrius Awareness Month, and endometriosis is a condition where the unit Uterine lining grows outside of the uterus, on ovaries, fallopian tubes, and other locations throughout the abdomen and body. And endometriosis affects 176 million reproductive age women worldwide. And whereas those who have endometriosis often have a diminished quality of life due to pain caused by disease, and whereas when symptoms are not identified early enough, it can take anywhere between three to 11 years for a woman to be diagnosed with endometriosis, as reported by the National Institute of Health, Health and US Library of Health. And whereas, there are four ways to spread awareness about endometriosis. One, talk. Talk about endometriosis to open lines of communication with yourself, with your family, with your friends, and most importantly, with your healthcare provider, your physician. Two, join an event such as Endo March, a worldwide event where survivors and supporters gather to march for awareness. You know when that is? I have no idea. <laughs> Three, educate yourself for you and or your loved ones that might be experienced the signs and symptoms of endometriosis. Four, share your story to help others, as Shannon has. Understand that you've been through which can be a beneficial part of the healing process. Now therefore, we the county commissioners of Queen Anne's County do hereby proclaim March as Endometrius Awareness Month to bring awareness to this debilitating disease so that the healing process can be begin. Signed, County Commissioners. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Picture. Commissioners, uh, moving on, we're just a little behind schedule here, but we have uh, our next presenter is here and ready to go. We have Eric Johnson. He is the executive director and vice chair 
and he's going to be talking to us about the Center for the Military and Veterans Families. And I've got some business cards I'm going to pass down from Eric. Eric, come on up. Uh, his presentation is in your book under tab six, item three, and also up on the screen as well. So, Eric. I'm going to have our uh, chairperson for the Veteran Military Support Alliance kick us off. Hi, uh, my name is uh, Joe Candela. I live in Prospect Bay in Graysonville, and I'm here tonight to represent Veterans and Military Support Alliance, which I hope you have 100 questions because nobody understands what that is. You touched upon a very delicate subject. There's one veteran who commits suicide in the United States every day. Talk about that. Um, we have a plan that's been going on for about nine months. We've had some great progress recently where we have uh, established a place that we're going to have this center. I don't expect anyone here to know what a resource center is, but we have an expert here, Eric Johnson, the vice president of this association. He will explain it, and we hope you have 100 questions, because I did when I volunteered to head this up. Uh, so without delay, I'm going to introduce you to Eric Johnson. Some of you know him. We are blessed to have him. He has knowledge and experience for this type of program in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and we hope to bring it here to the Eastern Shore. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Joe, and, and thank you, commissioners, for your time this evening. When I was in the Air Force, I had uh, a favorite commander of mine, George Small, Colonel Small, I will never forget, he pulled me aside and he said, if I can give you one piece of advice, son, I want you to remember the five Bs. And I said, the five Bs, sir? And he said, be brief, brother, be brief. So I understand you're behind schedule, so we're going to talk fast. Um, I think it helps to set the stage and why we're here tonight with a quote from George Washington, our first president and our first military commander in chief. And he was so progressive thinking. So really listen to this. The willingness with which our young people are likely to serve in any war, no matter how justified, shall be directly proportional to how they perceive the veterans of early wars were treated and appreciated by their nation. And I just, I don't think you can say it any better than that. If we didn't have a couple more things to say, I would say thank you, any questions. But um, that is why we're here. We, I have a son who, who said to me at one point, Dad, when, when I've watched you fight for, for some of the health uh, care that you need post-military service, it really makes me wonder whether I would be willing to go through that sacrifice. So within my own family, that quote is absolutely relevant. So we're here tonight because we are operationalizing. Thank you for your service here in Queen Anne's County. We're going to cover those items, but the four or five quick things that I want to just have you be thinking about as I go through these slides. Uh, we're here tonight to talk about VAMSA, military, very, very big on acronyms. So the Veteran and Military Support Alliance is... Uh, I can interrupt you real quick. Yes, sir. Um, take all the time you need. Do not rush through this. Okay. All right? Okay. Thank most, you. Most important thing is get the message across. So... Don't feel rushed. Well, I appreciate that. We, we will stride it. I'm not known for brevity, so I think <laughs> <laughs> it's in everybody's best interest. That, Please, that I appreciate time. that. Thank you, Commissioner uh, Dumineau. Uh, so we mentioned. Your slides are popular. Oops. I apologize for that. That was really brief. Yes. <laughs> you said brief, but that's a little. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, 
we talked about the, the acronym. Um, we're going to talk a little bit tonight about the launch of a capital campaign that will be official on April 22nd coming up. Uh, we do have a budget request in front of you for external agency requests that I understand you guys are going to be looking at on Thursday. So uh, any help you can give us toward that end, we're going to be thanking you in advance for that. Uh, we are launching as of this week, relaunching I should say, a needs assessment that we put together in SurveyMonkey that we're asking any of you that are, are veterans, uh, folks at home, military, their families and caregivers to take the survey. It takes less than three minutes and we're going to be releasing that on social media. And uh, we will be using that survey data to really drive our programming. And I did it again, didn't I? I just thought it was a slideshow. <laughs> I promise I'm not hitting the buttons. I don't know if... You want me to hold that? Thank you. <laughs> He's good at it. Just say next slide. <laughs> I'm not hitting... Oh, I don't know why it's auto... Advanced. Bruce, what are you doing over there? <laughs> so, I apologize. I'm not sure why it's oh, auto advancing. I'm going to assume. So I'm just going to speak. So the launch and purpose um, on September 9th of 2021, a small group of concerned citizens came together. Jim Moran was part of that group, uh, some of our Legion commanders and officers. And then it was in January of this past year that we had an organizing session. And one of the interesting things that I think is worth stressing is the idea that in Queen Anne's County, veterans choose to, and military choose to live here, to raise their families here, <coughs> and to die here. And, and that says something. So when you look at the statistics uh, from census, it's about seven plus percent of the country is veterans. In Maryland, it's 8.2%. And in Queen Anne's County, as of 2010, uh, it's 9.8%. It has gone down in the recent uh, census. But if you take a multiplier of 2.5 family members for each veteran, now you're talking about a third of this community is either a veteran or a veteran family member. And so that's a sizable population that we're talking about here. Uh, in February of 2022, we talked specifically about tiny homes for veterans um, and other housing options. And as we talked to um, Vivian Swenson um, about uh, zoning around that, and we looked at state uh, statistics, excuse me, from the Department of Community Services Housing, and we realized that we're very fortunate that we don't have a homeless problem for veterans. We had a strategic pause. We relaunched the group in October of last year, and at that time, we were able to focus on establishing a resource center, as Joe indicated, for veterans and military and their families. Um, with respect to our business plan, and um, I want to introduce uh, Maggie Thomas. Uh, many of you know her already um, from her previous work. She is one of our consultants and is going to be helping me operationally. So I serve currently as a director. She is a co-director. Uh, phase one is going to be a locally facing resource center. This is how we started out. And that is to do things like assisting with access to use of government uh, and private sector agencies. That's one of the biggest complaints that veterans have is they have no idea where to go for different things, uh, the complex world that is the VA where they do a certain percentage of their care purchased in the private sector and so, oh my gosh, I need a prescription. Am I supposed to go back to the VA? Do I get it from my private sector provider? And I just want to stress my background when I was in the military was I was a TRICARE officer for military health care and then a hospital administrator, emergency manager, and then I did that in the private sector and partnered with the VA. So arguably, if you were to look at the entire population of veterans, I was in that top 0.01% of folks that knew what to do to get care. I still struggled to get care. 
So if you want to know why I'm sitting up here right now, it's for that very reason. And as some of you know, and I just have to share this, back to Joe's point about statistics, um, I have lost two of my siblings, two brothers that were Air Force officers to suicide. So it's a very real issue for me and my family and one of the motivators. Uh, continuing on with our locally facing resource center, in addition to navigation, we want to do education and training, uh, access to medical and behavioral health care, peer support, financial counseling, holistic therapies, including free massage therapy, therapy, free gym memberships, and other things that we're going to talk about at our uh, interim site that we have on the horizon. Entrepreneurship. Uh, there's an organization, 100 Entrepreneurs, the CEO of which lives in Symphony Village. Um, Bob is, is a dear friend, and he started that organization with the intent to help 100 veterans become entrepreneurs, and now they're over 1,000. And some of these folks have become millionaires, as I understand. Uh, and then finally, resource networks for family members and caregivers. If you were to ask us, well, what makes us unique? Because people talk about veteran issues. Jim Moran famously, when I first met him, when I first moved back to the area, I grew up here in Centerville, um, he said, you know, Eric, I will support anything that veterans want to do, but people come up to me constantly with ideas, and I say, give me a plan. So we have a plan. Um, what we didn't expect is the attraction of some national organizations, the VA, Department of Agriculture, some other connections I made when I was in Allentown building a, a similar center that was a hospital-based model. This would be a rural community-based, something different that I have not done, but we're going to take a stab at it. And getting the attention of some of our national partners, we have been told that we have cracked the code on what rural communities should be doing for their veterans. And as a result, we have been invited to partner with some national organizations to include the National Veteran Health and Wellness Foundation to operationalize what will be the National Center for the Military and Veteran Family that will be on Kent Island. And so on April 22nd, which I'll come right back to, uh, we will not only be announcing that, but the capital campaign for that. The part of the National Center that's worth mentioning tonight is a nationally facing resource center where rural community leaders across the nation will be invited to travel to Maryland and come to Kent Island of all places. Can't think of a better place, right, for this? Um, stay here, enjoy the weather, not have to be in the, the city environment that, that we all love on the other side, but we're grateful it's there, right? Um, so at any rate, they'll come here, they'll take a, a several day course, and the last uh, module for their training and how to operationalize, thank you for your service in their communities, will be looking at our resource center as a learning lab. Uh, that is the long pole in the tent, so our first uh, up is to, over the next year, build out the Locally Facing Resource Center and then thereafter at the National Center. We do have a model. It is up conveniently, but I know it's going to keep going, so I got lucky there that that's up. Uh, you see on one side, I don't expect you to read this eye chart, but VAMS's priorities are on the left, the National Veteran Health and Wellness Foundation are on the right. Our priorities pair up along the lines of education, pathways, support, and advocacy. So they were the perfect match. We are about to engage in some visioning sessions with them to really plan out what does the perfect supported veteran, his or her family member, military, and most important as well, caregivers, uh, what does that look like and how do we work backward to establish a support structure here in Queen Anne's County for that? And then conversely, what does a community that is doing exactly what it needs to do for veterans look like and then build backwards from there for the national, nationally facing resource center? On April 22nd, as I mentioned, we have a very special Vietnam memorial dedication and launch. Uh, this will be at Libby's Restaurant on Kent Island, and while it's not a public event, um, we do have Attorney General Anthony Brown attending and speaking. Commissioner uh, Jim Moran is also speaking on the platform. Uh, we wanted to make you aware of the event. It, it is likely going to be on national news media, especially with the announcement of the National Center. 
and uh, following the 10 a.m. dedication. And I think it's worth mentioning as we talk to our partners, Walt Petrie, uh, the owner-operator of uh, Libby's Restaurant, uh, he and his counterpart, Wes Gucker, two Vietnam War uh, veterans, survivors, are dedicating this monument to their unit, their fallen, their surviving members. Um, we all understand that Vietnam War veterans did not receive the most welcome home that I received when I came home from Afghanistan. And so we know that Ken Island is the welcome to the Eastern Shore. So we're going to have a statue there that says, Welcome Home Vietnam Veterans and Welcome to the Eastern Shore, all veterans, all military. This will be a destination center. At 11 a.m. after the dedication, we will have a luncheon where we will launch our capital campaign. Our goal is to raise 375,000 for our fiscal year 24. We have adopted a, a similar, similar fiscal year to the county, July 1 through June 30th. Finally, our next steps. Uh, we have been given uh, office space at no charge, uh, thanks to the folks at Baybridge Marina for six to eight months, and then we will be moving within the campus to another location about six to eight months from now. Uh, we're going to continue to assess the needs of our veterans, our military, our families, and their caregivers through the survey monkey that I mentioned. And we are so grateful that Beth Mulaski, your public affairs officer, has graciously offered to help us push that out once we get the, the link set up on social media. So we want to thank her for that. And, and again, thank you all for your support. Uh, we're going to conduct our visioning sessions um, uh, here in the next uh, two weeks to look at phase one and two, what that looks like. We're going to host some local fundraising events in support of the capital campaign. Uh, in the meantime, we have already launched support groups. Shout out to uh, Fred McNeil, who has been very active here in Centerville with veterans. There is a uh, veteran support group that meets and they read books that veterans have written that have been traumatized and we meet monthly and discuss the book, talk about our trauma, talk about suicidality and things like that. And then there's a more social group that started at Dunkin' Donuts here in Centerville at 11 a.m. on Mondays. Any vets are welcome to, to join us. We're going to do a similar footprint on Ken Island. Eventually we'll offer trauma uh, informed care based uh, support groups. Uh, veterans will ultimately come into the center that we've just started to, to build and, and fit out uh, to receive all the things I mentioned in phase one, the navigation, the financial counseling, free massage therapy, you name it. We're not there yet, so the big message tonight is we're building and we promise to come back when we're ready for a ribbon cutting, but we're not there yet. So we're not quite ready for referrals, but the least we can do now is start with our support groups. And finally, uh, we're, we're gonna continue to partner with organizations like uh, Compass here in Centerville. I only mention them because they have a very specific program that they've started for veterans and long-term care is a part of our model. And I'll end on that point. What makes us unique is the idea that we wanna take care of the whole family. So that's veterans, which the VA can only take care of veterans that are rated, right? So we're taking care of anybody, military, spouses, children, grandchildren, and caregivers. And then the second thing that makes us unique that I think is worth mentioning um, is, help me out. Cradle to grave. Cradle to grave, thank you. Uh, every t once in a while I need an assist. Um, cradle to grave, so as you all know, we, we have organizations like ROTC here in this county. We have the Ken Island Sea Cadets. So what organization out there is saying, you know what, let's start with people that have already said, I think I want to be in the military and let's start taking care of them. Let's make sure their mental health is good. Let's make sure they understand what resources are available before they're ever in harm's way. So when they come home, they're not searching for those resources. They already know where they are. So that's our objective. We're, we're so grateful for the opportunity to talk to you about it and just look for your support ongoing and we'll come back when we're ready to talk about a ribbon cutting. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you.
Yeah. Any questions? You've come a long way. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Way. I apologize for the slides. I'm not okay. sure what that was yeah. about. I still think it's Bruce over there. I I you know what? If we can blame QAC TV, I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not them. <laughs> Well, thank you, gentlemen, if there's no questions. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Thanks. Eric, when uh, the last administration changed the TRICARE and allowed vets to go outside of the VA, yes. did that improve health care, do you think? Uh, it absolutely improved health care. What I'll tell you, and as most veterans would say, um, it is more of an appearance of veteran choice than an actual veteran choice. The VA is still the gatekeeper when it comes down to it. But President Trump did open the door for that, and I think the current administration is continuing to push that door open. So we're getting there. Especially if they're not close to a VA. Yes. They can take their benefits and go local. I drive two hours for some of my appointments. And that's, I think that's criminal, but thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you all. All right, commissioners, moving along, we have, uh, next up, we have um, our Director of Budget and Finance, Ms. Nicole Hepfer, and the Spending Affordability Committee update, and we have several members of the Spending Affordability Committee here All the this members, evening. Right? All the members. I think we're missing one. We have one. Oh, missing one. Yeah, yeah we are. Um, so Nicole's going to come up along with Karen, and uh, if you folks want to join up in the front row or up here in the front, that's great. Uh, we have uh, Joe Zimmerman, Steve Wilson. Linda Kohler, and the newest member of the committee, uh, Gary Mangum. Thank you all for coming tonight. Greetings. Thank you. Yeah. So this is uh, also in your book, tab six, item four, and uh, we have a slideshow here. Hopefully it's going to no pressure. I gave it go to through Karen, so. each slide <laughs> smoothly. Yeah. All right. Nicole. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, we'll start, we have um, two presentations. We'll start with the spending affordability first. Um, just a report summary. Again, we have our committee members. Four of them are here this evening. Mr. Joe Zimmerman, uh, Mr. Bernie Sadusky is not here. Ms. Linda Kohler is here. Mr. Steve Wilson and our newest member, Mr. Gary Magnum. Um, we started the FY24 budget consideration back in the fall. Uh, we had a meeting with all of the members. Um, we started with a discussion on the economy, the budget and revenue comparison, the fund balance um, amounts, the expenditure and revenue forecast, and their performance relative to our various debt policies. Um, for the FY24 budget guidelines, the revenue, uh, it's overall estimated budget growth for FY24 compared to FY23 at about 7.1% or 12.2 million. That's based on our current revenue projections. Um, the property tax growth was projected at um, an increase of 5.6%. The homestead credit will remain at 5%. And the FY24 income tax is estimated to grow at about 13% above the FY22 actual level. Nicole, is there, or, do you have anything built in for the $400 million write down by the state? Or is we, that did, we did. Uh, we have a slide uh, in the middle of this about, okay. with the revenue, um, but we did in decrease our revenue for income tax based on that. Okay. Um, and then the next slide, we go into expenditures. Um, the 
Potential or known expenditure increases in 24 include estimated increase of approximately 7% for supplies, materials, contracted services, and other costs based on current budget requests. So we took the requests that came in from all the departments for those categories and compared the increase over last year. Uh, estimated increase of 5% in the health care cost. Um, and maintenance of effort in, in prior years was dependent on enrollment change and actions of the General Assembly. And the maximum growth um, from the state was 2.5%. Uh, however, in recent years, the calculation has been adjusted uh, for other factors such as declining enrollment and recent legislation. And even as of now, we don't have the maintenance of effort certificate, um, and we've checked with the Board of Ed, and the state is waiting to send it out uh, pending the legislation. Um, so we don't even have a pre preliminary certificate to go from. Uh, the initial request from the Board of Ed was $4.8 million increase over FY23 funding, which was 7.5%. Okay. Um, and as part of the budget process, we will discuss and determine the county employee's salary and benefit costs um, for COLA, pay for performance, desk audits, um, and any other salary adjustments. For OPEB, we'll continue to contribute to that uh, based on our actuarial plan and the 10-year plan, and we are currently funded at 25% of the total OPEB liability. Fringe benefits and retirement rates uh, are from the Maryland State Retirement and Pension System and the health benefits through es ESMIC uh, with the benefits consultant. Um, in the last two bullets, we talk about the rainy day fund, which we will retain funding at at least 8% of budgeted revenues. Um, and the revenue stabilization fund will continue funding not to exceed $1 million in any given year, 5% of budgeted general fund operating revenues. Okay. And then we talk about the capital plan. Um, the, May 2023 planned bond sale of $7 million has been postponed either to the fall or to be combined with the 24 bond sale. We only had a few projects that were planned for that bond sale and they hadn't incurred expenditures yet. Um, so we held off on the bond sale and that way we weren't incurring debt for projects um, and funding that wasn't needed. And the projected bond sale um, for FY24 will be approximately 10 million, a little bit less, um, and that will be in addition to the 7 million if we combine the two together. We will use a limited amount of PAYGO funding as a transfer from the general fund to the capital budget um, to minimize any debt going forward. And we've done that in the last few years, and when we get to the budget for FY24, uh, we can go over that, but we've also planned that for this year as well. And we will utilize the county debt policy in considering affordability of any new capital projects, um, limiting debt service to less than 10% of the budget, and use capital fund balance to support the capital program and reduce the amount of debt as well. So then we're showing the total outstanding debt. Um, Estimated for June 2023, a decrease of 9.1 million um, from 130.9 million in 2022 down to 121.8. Uh, the decrease is 
mainly the result of not issuing the $7 million bond and also paying off the debt um, that was due this year. And then the notes decreased by 47,000 from 655 to 608 for this year. So the total decrease was 7% for our governmental um, bonds and notes payable. The next slide uh, is where we're showing the projected bond sales. So we're looking at, at the top of the chart, um, we have our governmental activities and business type. So in 23, it's estimated to end at 121.8 for government and 2 million for business type. Um, and then we project that out through FY29 showing we have the 7 million bond and just estimates of 10 million for each year going forward um, to come up with a projected debt amount, bond debt amount at F, for FY29 at 125 million. Um, Nicole, do we have a breakout what of the outstanding bond debt right now is uh, school? We do, we do. I don't have that with me, but we do keep track of that and we have to report that every year. I'm just curious what it is, what percentage it is of the total. I can get that information to you. If you got a Thursday, that'd be great. Okay, sure. Okay, and then the next two slides go over the debt measures. The first um, on slide nine is debt as a percentage of assessable base. Um, the limit is 2.5% for 2023. We're showing 1.33% and in 2029 showing 1.15%. And then the next slide we have debt per capita. The maximum is 3,000 um, for all the years. We're in compliance. We're at 2363 for FY23 and 2314 for 2029. And then debt as a percentage of general fund expenditures, uh, Mac, the measure has a limit of 10% and the current measure is 7.3 and down to 6.24 in 2029. Okay, and this is where we get into the revenue forecast. So this chart was showing the FY21 actual um, FY22 estimated, which should be the actuals. Um, we just haven't finalized that information yet. And the adopted budget for FY23, and then the projected FY23 and FY24 revenue budget. Um, so we're going from the adopted budget in FY23 of 171.4 to um, projected for FY23 at 180.4 million. Um, and then 183.6 for FY24. So as you go through, it's a couple things to point out. The property tax increase, um, the income tax increased, and for FY23, the projected amount, we've looked at all of the distributions so far, and then the ones that um, will come between now and the end of the year, we're just really estimating very little growth on those. Um, so that's how we arrived at the 78 million for FY23, and then um, just 3% growth for income tax above that. So that's where we decreased based on the state's decision. Um, the recordation and transfer tax, we're showing in 23, approximately a 20% decrease. Um, from 22, and that's just based on what we've seen so far this year. So we've projected that out, and then we're showing from those amounts of 5% decrease in 24, just because we're not really sure when that's gonna flatten out. Um, 
Also highway user revenue, you'll notice that that is zeroed out for 23 and 24, and that's because we were required to separate the roads department from the general fund. So that's why you see that decrease there. And then investment income in 22 is 325,000. We budgeted 175, we're, we're projecting 2.2 million. Um, the, the rates this time last year um, were 0.05% and in February of 2023, it was 4.52%. Um, and we did decrease the projection in 24 just because um, we're just going to continue to watch it um, and, and see how it goes, but we're projecting 1.7 million. And then the transfers in is from the school impact fees, and that's based on the schedule that we've come up with. So some of the FY24 issues, um, the Board of Education funding, um, as we mentioned, the maintenance of effort certificate, we don't even have a preliminary certificate for that, um, declining enrollment and the formulas, and we're not really sure what to expect. Um, also, we still have the ARPA funds. We use 25% in 22. Uh, we are planning to use more ARPA funds for FY23, um, but we have total Outside of what we used last year, we have 7.3 million available. And also our capital project funding, we have increased cost. We have um, several large county and board of ed projects that we're funding. Um, the county workforce is an issue, still with staff recruitment, retention, and succession initiatives. Um, and along with that, the employee pay increases for COLA and pay for performance. Um, and we just included a little chart just to show the, over the last three years, the CPI and for 2022 is 9.1%. And then the next slide we have um, included in the recommendations are some finance office policy updates. Um, the debt policy, uh, we've been meaning to look at that and review the debt measures um, and either modify the measures that we have or add to them. Um, so that's an update that we have on the list. The procurement policy um, to consider adding language for the county administrator approval for small to medium vehicle purchases um, when they're already approved in the budget, either with a budget amendment or in the adopted budget. Um, and the reason for this is just because of the market. The vehicles are often sold by the time the departments come and, and seek approval. I don't recommend, though, that if you put that language in there, that we put it in to be reviewed every year so that as the markets change, that it will revert back to the way the program runs now. Okay. Okay. And the next is the budget amendment policy. Um, so currently, any budget amendment, 10,000 or less, can be approved by the county administrator. Um, anything higher than that would have to come to the county commissioners unless you've already approved it at, during one of the meetings. So the proposed change is to make any zero-sum amendments within the same fund and department to be approved by the budget, director of budget and finance. So this is just where um, a department is moving it between the expense categories. Usually it's based on the grant um, requirements. And then any amendments of 10000 or less could also be approved by the Director of Budget and Finance, and the County Administrator could approve anything between 10 and 25,000. Um, and also to review and update the tax differential process. And 
update the cash management policy and create an investment management policy. So these are all policies over the next several months that we're hoping that the finance office will be able to work on and bring to you for your approval. And then the next page, um, the committee recommendations, and a lot of these are the same or similar to prior year. Um, the first one is just still that um, it's a volatile period um, and the outcomes can be un unpredictable. It, based on uh, just an example, the state of Maryland recently lowered the state revenue projections for FY23 and FY24. Um, and the federal government has stated rates will go up further and we've also seen regional bank failures. Um, so we just have to be careful and conservative with our revenue projections, um, which I feel that we have done that in the forecast. Um, also another recommendation um, is that it would be advisable to formulate a five-year operating budget projection similar to like we do with the capital plan. Um, and that is something that we're hoping that we can work on through our budget software um, to at least start that in the next few months and have that available for next year. And also the long-term impacts of Kerwin Commission um, and the Board of Ed funding going forward. And then the last one is to observe the agreed upon procedures in considering future capital budgets and bond sales. Um, and that the county should focus on the out years of the capital budget and not just the current budget year. Um, and then slide 15, that the county should take advantage of the strong financial condition using fund balance and PAYGO and reducing their reliance on debt. Um, and also possibly to pursue bond funding um, every other year rather than annually, especially if there are smaller bonds um, like we had with the $7 million bond. Um, and that we would continue, should continue to fund infrastructure and scheduled replacements. And consideration should be given to the county's future development plans and population growth and impacts um, on capital construction, particularly for the Board of Education projects. And the county should rely on the strong financial condition, long-term planning, and sound financial management to avoid tax rate increases. And then the last page, um, a few more recommendations. The budget growth, again, is um, we're showing approximately 7.1%, so strong revenue growth, um, and we, I've noted that the last few years, the experience of higher than anticipated growth in income tax is explained by multiple factors, such as um, increase in personal income tax collections, um, capital gain income, and wage gains evident in the past three years. Um, and here we have the ARPA, just a summary of the ARPA funds. We received a total of 9.8 million between 22 and 23. Um, we can use all of the funds for general government services or the other categories that COVID-19 public health, premium pay, uh, investing in water, sewer, and broadband infrastructure. Um, we've used 25% in 22 and we still have the 7.3 remaining. And the last recommendation is that um, there is some indication that the higher revenue levels will not be sustained in the near future and the county should remain cautious uh, with spending and budget growth. 
John. Any questions? Questions or I comments? Think we, we'll have plenty of those coming. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody on the board want to come up and say anything? Got any questions? No. <laughs> You got there you your, go. There you go. There you go. Well, if you got your crystal ball on what the MOE would be, I'd love <laughs> to hear that. Yeah. Oh. Uh, get to hear from the scruffy old guy once a year. <laughs> Great. Uh, I would I would stress the need for five-year planning, good solid five-year planning. I don't know how how you got away from that, but that was in place 20 years ago. Uh, and especially, base it on a real capital plan, not what people think you'd like to do. But what's out there that needs to be done? Well, one of the things you're talking about a new Board of Ed building. That's great, but what do you do with the monster over on Chesterfield Avenue? That's going to be a money pit forever. Somebody needs to do a realistic infrastructure assessment of all the schools. There were a lot of schools done in the 90s and the early 2000s that are now 20, 25 years old, 25 years past renovation. So you got a lot of old roofs out there, got a lot of old infrastructure out there. Need a realistic plan because that's going to drive your debt, it's going to drive your spending. That's my my one thing I keep carpeting Nicole about. You got to do that. And frankly, I think your next biggest challenge in the, in the short term is going to be compensation levels to attract and keep some talented people. It's hard to find people these days, much harder than it was years ago. And I don't know why that is, but public service just isn't attractive to people as it used to be, apparently. So. Actually, I'm a mere slip of a youth compared to my uh, counterpart at the other end of this, uh, this row. So. When you have an account, one of the things that always drew people into public service was the sort of guarantee that in tough times you wouldn't get sacked. I mean, that was a kind of staple of the game. And uh, when you have an economy with a 3.8% unemployment rate and anybody could get a job at any point, the value of a security of the job suddenly deteriorates down to a very low number. So that becomes a question. I think a fact that this commission is aware of and, and we should be watching is that this is the first year that we've had in which income was a bigger proportion of our revenue than it used to be a third. It used to be 20% and it was 40. Well, this year it crossed and we're now more heavy on the income side by a million or so than we were. That's probably going to continue, but it's a more volatile part of the equation and probably susceptible in a, re in a recession. I used to think maybe five, six, seven, ten million in a year, so that susceptibility is now enhanced and it makes more sense to keep funding up the revenue sustainability fund because that's the that's the heat shield if you need it i mean what you don't want to ever have to do is do what we did before which is fire the workers and cut back the services this government should be able to run maintaining its services maintaining the workers and without a tax increase so those are sort of fundamental principles of the game so very well Anybody? Anything else, folks? You got it. That's good. So thank you very much for the effort and time that you guys put in for this. I don't think there's anything that any of us up here could could say to convince you just 
how amazing that your efforts and the work that you put in to kind of give us a forecast as we get ready to launch into our budget process. So please try to accept this, um, this appreciation for all your efforts and your commitment to do this. You're here. Yeah, the, uh, the uh, still wish you had a crystal ball, but I guess we're not going to get that. Huh? I have one. It just I tell you what, we work out there now. <laughs> but, but the work that, that you folks done, that's pretty close. Maybe it's not a crystal ball, uh, maybe just a little cloudy, but we're certainly in a much better place than we were before. Oh, my. Yes. Where, where you were in 2011 was just downright <laughs> You scary. and I served on that on that task force together, along with Mr. Moran. Some things you don't forget. No. <laughs> nope. They sit right back here. Sit Never want to be there again. No. No, you don't. For this next year to pass without any flutters in the economy would be a surprise to me. A lot of people. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Very Appreciate you. it. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. All right. Well, that teases up very nicely for the presentation of the proposed county administrator's FY24 budget. And uh, Nicole and Karen have the double feature tonight, so <laughs> they can continue. So this is also in your book. The next, the next item, page 38, uh, item number five, tab six, also up on the screen. Okay, some of this may be repetitive. But. <laughs> um, so Karen and I have the county administrator's budget um, presentation that we'll go over. Uh, we have some operating budget information in the beginning, and then we'll go into the capital budget. Um, do you want to do the? Do you want to do this? Okay. So we'll start out with just going over some FY 2023 general fund update. Um, information again, which we've talked about some of this um, in the last spending affordability presentation. The 2023 revenue projections um, indicate estimated revenue at 5.3% over the adopted budget. The adopted budget was 171.4 million and we're projecting 180.5. Um, the largest increase is in the income tax uh, revenue, which is estimated at 13.3% above the budgeted revenue. We budgeted 68.8 million and we're projecting um, close to 78 million. The recordation and transfer tax, uh, the projections are estimated at 20% lower than the budgeted amounts. Total for both of those categories, budgeted was 13.4 and we're projecting 10.8. Um, Another huge increase was in the investment income, which is estimated at 2.2 .2 compared to the 325,000 that was budgeted. And in the 2023 general fund um, budget, we included PAYGO funding of 5.3 million for the capital projects. Then we get into the 2024 budget highlights. Um, the budgeted growth is 7.1% um, from 171.4 to 183.6 million for FY 2024. The income and property tax make up 87.2% of the total revenue sources. Um, compared to FY 22, the income tax revenue is projected to grow at 16.7% property tax revenues projected to grow at 5.6%. Um, all of these projections are um, assuming no change in the property tax rate, um, which is 0.83, and the income tax is 3.2%. 
some of the 2024 budget highlights. The Board of Education um, included in the county administrator's budget that we'll go over. Um, we've funded at 1.9 million above the FY23 amount, um, which is 3%, a 3% increase. And again, we're still waiting on the maintenance of effort certificates. And uh, we did include funding for employee recruitment and retention actions. Um, while, you, while you're there, Nicole, I, don't, I hate to stop you on this. So to, to put this in clarity to a lot of people, because they're going to see that, that we're 3% and all that, but you said it earlier, and, and, and it, I think it heeds saying it again, is that that is preliminary based on legislation is down there that could push this number via mandate a lot higher. And, and I, I think even in your other presentation, mm -hmm. you said 4.8 million. But I think some of that has even already been mandated, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that number could go up, regardless of student population. That's right. what people got to understand. Student right. population is no longer something that is looked at mm. since COVID. It's, you know, we're operating basically the year 2020 didn't exist in terms of student population. So we're operating on 2019 numbers, more or less. So people right. got to keep that in mind. Even though our population is down in the student world, we're still operating like they're still there. And that's what we saw last year as well. Exactly. Yes. So, but some people may not understand that when they see the numbers and when they see it vetted in the Board of Ed, how they're going to be presented, you know, on Thursday night, they'll get to see us both sit here together and go over it. But just to keep that in mind, if there's, I don't want to say it's shell game, but there's some fancy uh, calculating going on that's not necessarily exactly the way Kerwin was designed. So. And even if you have a student population, that doesn't mean that the expenditures for the school system are different. If you have a 10% reduction in the student population, you're not doing 10% lights, 10% salary. Right, because, right. You know, and you still have one teacher in the room, whether there's 10 students or 20 it's students, exactly you're the still same. paying one teacher for that room. So it's, right. there's really some operational costs that, again- A lot of those fixed costs don't go right. low. And, I, and I've read on that with Kerwin, you really need to look at how much does it cost to open a school? How much does it cost to educate our kids? Not how much is it per student, and let's just pay that, because mm -hmm. every student's different and the needs are different. So, yeah. But anyway, that's, another, that's for another day. Okay. Um, I think we're at employee compensation increased. Uh, the budget includes 3% cost of living adjustment and additional pay for performance. Um, also, it includes funding for 16 new full-time and three part-time positions and variety of departments. We have emergency services, detention center, public works, parks, roads, aging, animal services, information technology, planning and zoning, and sanitary. Uh, the PAYGO funding and the FY24 budget is $8.0 million, um, which helps reduce the debt issuance planned for next year. Uh, budget also includes LOSAP program funding and allocation increases for the volunteer fire departments, and also funding towards the economic development incentive program. Also includes county inter internship opportunities um, via human resources for various departments and also library enhancement funding. Then on slide five, we have the county administrator's FY 2024 um, general fund budget, which again, the 23 approved adopted budget was 171.4 and the 24 budget is 183.6, uh, it's a 12 $0.2 million increase at 7.1%. Um, increase, uh, the majority of the increase is in income taxes at $11.5 million. Um, the interest income also increased by $1.5 million 
Uh, we're showing a decrease in recordation and transfer tax. And again, the state um, share tax for highway user has been removed from the general fund. And then the next few slides, we go over the expenditure budget, um, which is organized by, um, by departments. Uh, first, we start with county administration, um, a total of 9.3 million, which is a 10% increase. Um, and any en enhancements, we'll go over the enhancements um, after this, but they are included if they were funded uh, in these figures. Community services, um, almost 4 million, which is a $750,000 increase. Planning and zoning at 2.6 million, which is a 7% increase. Um, and then last on this page, we have public safety uh, at 20.8 million, which is 10% increase. And on the next page, we have public works, um, which is really shown a decrease, but that's because of the roads department. Um, so in 23, the approved budget for roads was 5.9 million. That uh, was not net of the highway user revenue. So the revenue showed as revenue, the expenses showed here. So the 4.6 million that we see under roads is really the transfer out that will bring the roads fund whole. Um, so that's why you see a decrease there. So I just wanted to explain that. If we didn't include that um, for the roads transfer out, then the net change for public works would really be 10.8%. Um, parks and Recs, total of 6.4 million, which is 6% 6 increase. So total of all the general county government uh, was a $3.6 million increase to 56.5 million, which is approximately 7%. Um, the next page, we have the Board of Education and the other agencies. Um, this is the Board of Education where we've added the 1.9 to the FY23 base budget to come up to 66 million, and that's the 3% increase. And then the total of all the other agencies is $2.3 million increase um, to 29 million, and that's 8.5%. And then the last for the expenditure budget, uh, we're showing the debt, which the debt service decreased um, from 13.2 million to 12.7, which was about $400,000 uh, at 3.2%. And then in the other category, uh, increased from 14.1 million to 18.8. Uh, the majority of that increase is in the transfer out because we had 5.3 budgeted last year. We increased the PAYGO to 8 million for this year to fund some of the larger capital projects. And then the next two slides, we show the revenue and expenditure um, the revenue by source on slide 10, and you'll see again um, the property and income tax make up the majority of the revenue total combined at 88%. And then the expenses on slide 11 um, by function, the total proposed budget, 183.6 million. Education is at 36%. Um, and we have public safety at 11%, outside agents, agencies at 16 um, and then some of the other categories. And then we're showing the tax rates by county, um, and you can see that Queen Anne's County is um, the third lowest tax rate in the state um, at 0.83.
And then the next slide, we go over the change um, from last year's budget to this year's proposed budget. Both revenue and expenditures changed by 12.2 million. On the revenue side, the income and property tax make up the majority of the, of the increase. Um, at 4.4 million for property tax and 11.5 for income tax. Um, the expenditures, the majority of the increase came from public safety at 2 million, Board of Education at almost 2 million, and the transfers, the PAYGO at 3 million. And then we go over the enhancements, the next, I think, four or five slides. So the total enhancements were requested were 9.5 million. Um, of that, 6.1 million have been funded and included in the county administrator's budget. Um, and we will provide more details of those during the budget work sessions. Um, but we go through on slide 14, we're showing the aging department had a few enhancements, uh, mainly for staffing at the y senior center at the YMCA. We have a medical care technician at Animal Services. Then we're showing the Board of Education. The allocation increase requested was 4.8 million. Um, and then there were two non-recurring costs. Uh, the second phase of the Queen Anne's County High School paving and also replacement of playground equipment at um, Sudlersville Elementary School. Those have both been funded and but included in our capital budget, um, both the 550,000 and the 350 for the playground equipment. Chesapeake College requested a 4% increase, which was included in our um, capital budget. And then the last request we have was from Community Affairs. And then on page 15, we have um, several positions and also grant writing services from emergency services and the admin, special operations, and fire marshal divisions. Um, and several have been funded. And then DPW, we have engineering, general services, and roads, um, three positions, which are all included in the county administrator's budget. In detention center, we have three positions funded as well. Um, economic development we have um, included in the funding was um, 26,000 for rent or overhead at the satellite visitor center while they're doing renovation. <laughs> um, also, the economic development incentive funding, um, 297,000 uh, that we've included. And salary increases for the extension services have been included and 5% increase for the volunteer fire departments along with the increase uh, related to the low SAP change. So that's all included in the county administrator's budget. Uh, and the internship program was funded and a cybersecurity coordinator for IT as well. Are both of those half year funding? Is that what? Uh, I know the IT position was and the internship was um, just funded at half the level because it was for a variety of positions for multiple departments. Gotcha. And the library submitted enhancement requests of 281,000. Um, some of those were funded. We also received a priority list as well um, that we'll review during the budget work sessions. Um, Parks Department had a few positions and an also pay machines. Um, so the pay machines were funded and one of the positions. And planning and zoning and sanitary both had positions which were funded. Sanitaries is um, funded through the sanitary fund, so that's not general fund um, for that position. 
In the last page of the enhancements, we have soil conservation. Um, one is just a position change, and the other one is for additional staff at the conservation specialist. Both were funded. Um, and then we have funds in contingency. This is similar to what we did last year. Um, we put in contingency for now, and then we can use those funds um, to either fund other enhancements or change PAYGO. It's just going to be available for discussion during the budget work sessions. So again, there was 24 positions requested, 19 were funded. Um, so a total of 6.1 million funded for the enhancements. And then we get into um, the rest of our slides are on the capital budget, which Karen is going to go over. So for the FY24 capital budget, um, we funded it at 52.7 million, which is comprised of 34.9 million in general capital, 6.6 million in the roads fund, and 11.2 million in the enterprise funds. Some of the highlights are the um, detention center renovation and expansion. Um, that is 12.5 million in FY24. Um, 11 and a half million of that is funded with grants and 1 million is funded with bonds. Um, in the roads capital projects, we have 6.6 .6 million, which is funding for the roadway paving, um, parking lot overlays, and bridge maintenance. Um, the Board of Education is funded at 6.4 million, which includes funding for the new central office, the Ken Island High School roof replacement, the current central office building, fire, arm, fire alarm replacement, uh, playground replacement, and parking lot resurfacing at Queen Anne's County High School. Parks was funded at 3.2 million, which includes funding for the South Island trail development, court work, capital equipment, landscaping, and public sewer extension to White Marsh Park. Emergency services was funded at 2 million, which includes funding for ambulance, um, the Route 50 301 tower, uh, radio subscriber replacement, and other projects. And then IT is 1.9 million, which is funding for IT infrastructure, public fiber, ERP projects, and cellular signal expansion. I hate to say it, but that detention center number might be too low. Keep going. <laughs> um, some other capital highlights um, are the senior center at the YMCA is funded at um, 1 million, which includes support for the double gym expansion and the elevated perimeter walking track. Um, the historic courthouse has funding of a million dollars. Uh, the volunteer fire companies are funded at um, 835,000, which is funding for purchase assistance of the apparatus and facility construction. Um, the ski sewer system phases two, three, and four are 5.4 million, which includes the Tower Gardens, the Queen Anne Colony, Kentmore, and Bats Neck. The residential water meter replacement is three and a half million, which is funding for systematic replacement with smart meters. And the Chester West water main is one million, which is funded with ARPA grants. Um, this is for the public water line extension from Castle Marina Road to the Stevensville Shopping Center. And public landings is half a million, which is funding for the Thompson Creek bulkhead and fishing pier improvements at Mattapique and Roman Coke. So now we get into the um, six-year capital budget, which is FY24 through FY29. 
Um, the adopted budget includes FY24, and the out years are just for planning purposes. Um, so the total for the outside agencies and other departments is 1.9 million in FY24, um, a total of 8.3 million for all six years. Um, and just to highlight um, the allocation to the volunteer fire departments is 835,000 each year. Um, the total for administration and general services is 4.6 million in FY24 and 22.4 million um, across the board. Um, just to point out, as we did in the capital budget highlights, um, that includes $1 million in FY24 for the historic courthouse and $1 million in FY24 for the senior center at the YMCA. Um, the total in FY24 for property management is $475,000 and um, the total for six years is $1.9 million. Um, the total animal services in FY24 is $290,000, um, and the total for the six years is $7.8 million, which um, includes uh, the construction of a new animal services building in the out years, um, the majority in FY29. Um, the total for Department of Emergency Services is $1.6 million in FY24 and $11.6 million um, in the total for the six years. Um, and just as we mentioned in the capital budget <coughs> highlights, that includes $535,000 for a new ambulance and $500,000 for the Route 50-301 tower. And then the detention center renovation, we have budgeted $12.5 million in FY24 and a total of 34 million across the six years. Total for planning and zoning is 400,000 for FY24 and 950,000 for the total six years. The total for IT for FY24 is 1.9 million and then the, across the board for six years is 9.7 million. And we just wanted to highlight um, that in FY24, there is funding for cellular signal improvement, um, both at the various school locations and across the county. I know that was um, kind of a hot topic, so that is funded in FY24. Um, and I think in a couple of out years too, just to kind of spread it out over a three-year period. Um, solid waste is funded at 590,000 for FY24 and 2.4 million over six years. And then the public library system is funded at 80,000 in FY24 and 3.7 million over six years. And that includes um, the renovation of the Crumpton School Building as a library in FY26. For recreation, there isn't anything funded in FY24, but in FY25 and 26, there's 10.1 million for the um, construction of a new recreation center. The total for aging is 940,000 in FY24 and 3.3 million over six years. And in that, um, there is 450,000 in FY24 for the Ken Island Senior Center. The total for the Board of Education for FY24 is 6.4 million and over six years is 51.5 million. As you'll see, there's no information in FY28 and 29 
Um, we just had a meeting with them a couple weeks ago and have let them know that we need that information just to kind of incorporate that in our six-year plan. So they are working on that. Um, but just to highlight, the main um, project in the Board of Education is the Board of Ed Admin Building, which is funded at $4.5 million for FY24. Um, total projected over the next six years is $17.5 million. Um, for parks, there is $3.2 million budgeted in FY24 and $30 million over the next six years. Um, the main projects being the trail development um, and the, um, the trail development at um, $10.6 million across the six years. And then we also just wanted to point out um, that we have included the $350,000 for the um, Southersville Elementary School playground playground replacement, which was an enhancement this year. Um, so we've included that in the capital budget. So that brings the total general capital for FY24 to $34.9 million in FY24. For public landings, um, it's funded at $510,000 in FY24 and $610,000 over the next six years. Um, the Bay Bridge Airport is funded at $185,000 in FY24 and $9.3 million over the next six years. Um, the bigger projects involve the South Apron Safety Enhancement Construction, which is $4.1 million. 90% of that is funded with FAA grants, 5% is funded with MAA grants, and then 5% is the county match. Also included in the um, airport budget is the um, North Apron expansion, which is $4.4 million. Again, 90% of that is funded with the FAA, 5% MAA, and 5% county match. If it's riding, it's really sound. For the roads board, um, that is $6.6 million in FY24, $59 million over the next six years. The bigger projects are the asphalt overlays, um, the Thompson Creek Connector, which is 100% grant funded, and also the pedestrian bridge crossing at US 50 and 301, which is also 100% grant funded. The total for the sewer enterprise is 5.78 million in FY24 and 23 million over the next six years. Um, in FY24, 5.4 million of that is the ski projects um, phase two, three, and four. Then the total water prize, water enterprise projects are 4.7 million in 24 and 12.6 million across the next six years. Um, the major projects in the water um, fund is the residential meter replacement and the Chester West water main, which is funded with ARPA grants. So that brings the total of all the capital projects um, to 52.7 million in 24 and 303 million over the next six years. So the next slide is just a, um, a summary of the funding source for the FY24 capital budget. Um, so we included um, $8 million um, in PAYGO funding, which is already included in the general fund as an expense. There's 15.6 million funded with grants. Nine and a half million is funded with bonds. Our plan is to keep the bond funding below 10 million. Um, 670 is funded with operating. 9.9 .9 million is funded with fund balance. And then the other is um, $9 million, which is primarily um, the ski loans. So that brings our total to the 52.7 million. 
And then the next slide is just some of the um, upcoming dates for the work sessions, the budget release, public hearings, and when the budget is adopted. Breathe. I know. <laughs> We're running late. I gotta you know, catch up on time. So. Any questions on the capital budget? I'm sure there are. <laughs> Did you repeat that? <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> She will I, at I least page twelve. Times. She will at least three to four more times. Trust yes. me. Yes, yes, I probably will. Yeah, commissioners, we'll have plenty of time to look over these numbers uh, at the upcoming work sessions. We have our first one uh, Thursday. Uh, we have outside agencies, sheriff, DES, I believe, and library coming up on Thursday. We had, we had to swap out the board of education okay. because they have their uh, teacher, gala. teacher gala that same evening, so they're going to be later in the. Uh, in the program, so we did swap those two out. So, uh, save the best for last, I suppose. But uh, any questions? Or, okay. There'll be plenty of questions later. There'll be plenty of questions later, yeah. Great, thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you both. Oh, while, while these uh, two are here, can we do those two quick, we have two budget amendments, uh, one of which may take a little explaining uh, for the Board of Education, so, um, and then maybe, uh, you want to take a quick recess or after that or? No, we got to roll. Okay, all right. Push through. Push through. So, all right, so uh, if you want to go to um, tab number three, action items, and that will be, let me see here. Number five? Yeah, item five on page 28, and this is the, uh, the budget amendment for the uh, Board of Education. Uh, this reallocates some existing um, budget authority for several capital projects that are not proceeding at this time and puts those funds back over into uh, the uh, Ken Island High School roof replacement project, which the Board of Education wants to try to do this summer, if at all possible. So this uh, totals a, a $1.022 million, $1 million, $1 million uh, transfer of already budgeted funds for the Board of Education over to that roof uh, project. I move to approve budget amendment CC39, Board of Education Capital Projects Reallocation. Second. We have a motion second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So move. All right, thank you, commissioners. And while they're here, um, item number six, uh, budget amendment CC43 is an amendment to establish budget authority for the Upper Shore Regional Council Smart Business Marketing Grant, uh, $30,000. No uh, no county funds were requested, just moving I move right. to approve budget amendment CC43, grants economic development. Second. So motion is second, any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for being patient this evening. All right. All right. So next on the schedule, we have a public hearing for stuff here. All right. Uh, under legislation, tab seven. Item number one, we have a hearing on the redesignation of the historic Stevensville Arts and Entertainment District. So we have uh, Economic and Development Director Heather Tonelli. So, Heather. 
So uh, today we need to hold a public hearing for the redesignation of the historic Stevensville A&E district application. The purpose of the public hearing is to obtain public comment to be considered for a submission of an application to the Maryland State Arts Council for redesignation of the historic Stevensville Arts and Entertainment District. The district was officially established in July 2013 and is under the management of the Queen Anne's County Department of Economic and Tourism Development. The Stevensville Arts and Entertainment District is also supported by the Stevensville A&E District Advisory Board, whose members are appointed by the Queen Anne's County Commissioners. The proposed Arts and Entertainment District redesignation is under consideration by the County Commissioners of Queen Anne's County. The designation provides important tax incentives to local artists, developers, and performing art venues. Additionally, the district plans to continue its work of bringing more public art, special events, programming, and support for local artists and the Stevensville business community. A notice of public hearing was placed in the Bay Times and Record Observer on March 24th, 2023, announcing that the public hearing was set for Tuesday, March 28th at 6.45 p.m. at the Liberty Building at 107 North Liberty Street, Centerville, Maryland, 21617. The draft application is available for public review on Wednesday, March 22nd, and it is still available as of March 28th, 2023 at the Chesapeake Heritage Visitor Center at 425 Piney Narrows Road, Chester, Maryland, 21619 during normal business hours. This public hearing will summarize the purpose, proposed application for redesignation of the historic Stevensville a District. Um, every 10 years, the state requires a new application to be submitted for redesignation as the Arts and Entertainment District this year, Queen Anne's County will be applying for redesignation to continue to develop, promote, and support the district's diverse artistic and cultural assets. Uh, the Department of Economic Tourism Development has worked with the subcommittee of the Stevensville A&A District to prepare the application for submission. The proposed di district map uh, includes 102.93 acres along Main Street and Love Point Road and is requesting the inclusion of a portion of the properties along Shopping Center Road. 63 businesses, 113 residential properties, and over 150 artists are currently supported by this designation. Economic, it's also an economic development tool that provides numerous funding opportunities and ongoing support for, from the Maryland State Arts Council. Uh, we have now reached the public comment section of this public hearing, um, and that is required as part of this grant application process. Uh, testimony is to be heard from <coughs> members of the community for this project. Comments will be limited to three minutes. You've got no emails or, t or messages for this? No one here wants to speak, so we'll close the um, comment section. I could make a motion vote on it tonight, right? A motion the county commissioners approve the attached letter of support for the Queen Anne's County to accompany the state art and entertainment district application for redesignation. <laughs> second. We have a motion in a second. Any discussion? So I'd just like to make a comment. Um, in my first term, I actually uh, was a city commissioner at the time when Stevensville became an arts and entertainment district for the first time. So you're getting old. Yeah, well, if you want to do the math, <laughs> yes, thank you. But so this is, it's hard to believe the 10 years has already gone by. And, and we've seen some pretty substantial changes to downtown Stevensville. I do have a question regarding the adding of Shopping Center Road. So is, I mean, where Hardy's and Duncan and 
Colt. And Willis Colt. Tire yeah. and Colt, Colt Classic. Classic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Colt Classic. So including, so basically that, that plaza, mm -hmm. the entire plaza there. Yes. Yeah, the plaza, but not Dunkin' Donuts and Hardee's. So starting where Colt Classic is. Okay, where Colt Classic is. And they're going all the way over. That's property where the, um, there's a drive-through and what's the name? Where the bank is? is? Yeah, so it, st it stops at the bank. So it's just literally that plaza. Yes. Okay. The shop, the one with Tokyo Bay coming and yeah. El Jefe. Yes. But not the bank at the very, very end that's detached. Right. Okay. All right. Very good. And there's a resolution as well. And mm -hmm. pretty good for 10 years growth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other discussion. And this is, I've neglected to say this is Nikki who owns Tasty Toucan. It's also the chair of the Arts and Entertainment District and has put a lot of time and effort into this awesome. presentation. That's what we I need. think that's a nice addition yes. uh, to, the, to the Arts and Entertainment, adding that shopping center road. Yeah. And, and you guys at Tasty Toucan have done a great job of creating another destination for people to go to oh, and activities you. for them. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah, I enjoy being part of the A&E and watching it grow. We've got some people who were part of the Original. designation mm -hmm. still on the board. Um, we've brought some new blood in and getting a lot of energy going on. And post-COVID, we've got a lot of big events planned, and we do see a lot of visitors from the other side of the bridge coming over here to check We'll take us their out. money. <laughs> as long as I go home. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, they can stay a few days and stay in our hotels, right. right? Some of them actually come to live here. I mean, it's, there's a reality there. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that was such a great stay. Let's move there. That's how I got here. That's a huge commitment. Thank you. Jim? Okay. So with that being said, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Thank you very much. Then we got a resolution, right? We have to adopt the resolution tonight or what? We have to do both. Yeah, we can't. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. What is the resolution number? I move to adopt resolution 23-04, Historic Stevensville Arts and Entertainment District redesignation and execute the letter of support. Oh, we already said that part, we already right? got that one. Just the resolution part. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? There we go. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, Thank you very much. Yeah. Heather, Nikki, well done. All, all finished. See you in 10 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> you won't see me. I want to go ahead and introduce the ordinance. You want to yeah, so we can just get that done. Yeah, 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 we can. City. Under legislation commissioners, tab seven, item two, we have introduction of county ordinance 2303 for the redistricting plan. I'll introduce it. All right, thank you, Commissioner Cucarino. That's great. All right, that is all we have for legislative. Uh, if you want to go to tab three, we have a couple of action items, and we'll get through this this evening. Uh, tab three, item one, page uh, one through nine is the Department of Corrections uh, vehicle replacement. This is a replacement uh, of a Ford Explorer from 2016 for the warden under the state of Maryland blanket contract. I move to purchase one 2023 Ford Explorer per purchase order BPO number 001B2600309 in the amount of $42,529.88 from Apple Ford Fleet government sales using the auto vehicles budget line item from the detention center budget. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved, Father. All right, thank you, Commissioners. Item two on pages 10 through 20 is also from the Department of Corrections. This is for the Medical Assistance Treatment Program, the MAT program under House Bill uh, 116. 
And this is a request to approve the execution and execute the contract for the University of Maryland to provide telehealth care for the inmates with substance abuse disorders. No county funds are needed for this program. I move to execute the contract agreement for substance use disorder telehealth services between University of Maryland Psychiatry Associates and Queen Anne's County with funding for the program from medical assistance grant provided by the State Opioid Operational Command Center. Second. We have a motion to second. Any discussion? <laughs> so just real quick. <laughs> so I just, I wrote, going over my book, I, I made some notes here. So we have, so look, I, I, we have inmates that, that have various physical issues that, you know, they're diabetic and, you know, so we're required to give them the necessary medicines. And I know this is not a county funded program, um, but I guess my question is, if they're inmates, how are they getting drugs? Well, I mean, how are they, how are they drug abuse uh, candidates if they're incarcerated? They get drugs into the prisons. Well, yeah, and a lot of them come first in off, First off, methadone, you ever hear of it? Well, first off, they, they probably detox them and or they're giving them medication for their Addiction. addictions Addiction. for, for, the, for that portion of it. And this is the psychiatrist is trying to walk them through a better path in life. Okay. Thank you, James. Not a word. All right, any other discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Five up. All right, thank you, commissioners. Item three on pages 21 and 22 is the mosquito control program, uh, mosquito control agreement from MDA. We get this every year. It's for um, $20,000 for uh, integrated mosquito control management, uh, our program to supplement our uh, user fees. Start reading that. I move to execute the 2023 mosquito control agreement with the Maryland Department of Agriculture and to allocate funding up to 30,000 for the program per the agreement. Second. Got a motion and a second. There'll be no discussion on this. All those yes, there, whoa, 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 I have a question. Oh, man. I thought we'd get one by him. Fire away, big boy. How are we measuring the success of this? I mean, I see the trucks drive through communities and fog down a road, but if you don't do it for the two communities next to it, have the same amount of stormwater management ponds and creating the same amount of mosquito larvae, how, how are we measuring the success of this? Todd is we, out we there counting all the mosquito bodies. We throw $30,000, $35,000 at this program every single year. But how are we measuring the success of well, it? Well, the, the, the county contribution piece here is only if there's a big outbreak, you know, with West Nile or something. We have that in reserve. Our, our portion is funded by the user fees, and this state piece just helps to supplement the, uh, the traps and the surveillance. So they, do, they have traps, and they do measure, you know, the number of mosquitoes in the area. So they're, I mean, every year is a little bit different, but it's, it's a tough one to, right. I mean. We could get Beth to, to do a survey monkey of the mosquitoes yeah, and check right. out the towns. You know what, it was a very legitimate question. It's, it's, it's a good question, yeah, yeah. Fair I mean, again, I mean, you put your arm on it, then they count them. And, I mean, that, that's I don't one. think there's really any way to do it, right? Because they don't technically measure mosquito populations per se, right? That that I've ever. Heard we just want to make sure there's no, uh, you know, serious disease outbreaks with. And you got to call, I think, to get the service, right? Don't you have? Yeah, they don't yeah, do it yeah. arbitrarily. You no. have to call if you yeah. have right. a problem in your neighborhood. And, that, and that's one of the reasons why we went with a community-based spray program. So because we used to do it individual, so. You know, Patrick may get it at his house. We don't do it, Chris, like you said. Then right. you have, but with a community-based operation, we do the whole community as a group, and it gives you better coverage in, in 
regions versus just isolated. Uh, have we ever had to kick in more money than what the initial is? Yeah. yeah. We have? Yeah. Okay. Well, I will say that uh, the, uh, where I live, the HOA piece. Generates some good conversations. Yeah, some, yeah, some, some HOAs do cover that. not pay for it. I'm going to pay for this later. Jim is not amused. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a mosquito bite for you. Uh, <laughs> wow. All right. You got that Thank feed? you very much, Todd. I appreciate your, you're, you're welcome your uh, commissioner. honest feedback. <laughs> hubba hubba. Well, now that the discussion over, <laughs> all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Thank you very much, 5 All right, thank you, commissioners. Item number four is a uh, <laughs> support letter for the stores of the Chesapeake grant application for Maryland Heritage Areas. Uh, this is for walking the Kent Island Railroad. I'm going to execute the Maryland Heritage Areas Stories of the Chesapeake grant application support letter. Second. We have a motion in a second. Is there any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. He even had sign on there, see? I did. It's my notes. Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome, commissioners. Uh, items five and six were the two budget amendments we approved earlier, so we can skip to item seven. Item seven is a thank you letter to Senators Cardin and Van Hollen for the federal allocation of $1.2 to Chesapeake College for expansion of the workforce training program. I move to execute the thank you letter to Senators Cardin and Senator Van Hollen for Chesapeake College Technology Grant. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? Any discussion? I have none. Jack? What? No, I, I actually, wasn't there. Jim, okay. actually. I, 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 didn't go. I actually uh, have some. Oh, so. please. Yes. Hey. Well, uh, there was a full house at the college. Every county was there. We were there. Uh, appreciate them for the mobile welding unit, teaching our kids. $1.2 million, and I, I truly do appreciate that. However, I saw on the news last night that they gave $3 million to the dirt bikers in Baltimore so they could have a track. Ugh. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say about that. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? There we go. So Your track will keep them off the streets, right? You, I don't know. Well, we're going to find out. When they crash, they bring them over here to get welded? Could be. No, it's mobile. We can go there. That's right. That's there you go. Right. That's what they should do. So, is that a wrap? Nope. No, I have two, two desk more. items, uh, two then more. we're finished. Uh, desk item one is the Crumpton and Deep Landing Project for oh, Engineering yes. uh, Services. Uh, this is a contract award for the Crumpton Landing and Deep Landing Boat Ramp and Bulkhead Replacement Projects. Uh, public Landing solicited bids. They got seven bids ranging from 39390 335 to over 196,000, and we recommend the low bidder, uh, George Miles and Bureau of Salisbury, in that um, for $39,945. I happily move to authorize the Department <laughs> of Parks and Recreation to contract with GMB for engineering services in the amount of $39,935 for Crumpton Landing and Deep Landing Boat Ramp and Bulkhead Replacement Project. Second. We have a motion and a second. Any discussion? How long is it going to take them to do this? Do you know what the is it? Is it a month? Is it three months? It'll be more than a month. It'll be several months. I'll get you a schedule. Okay, from, okay. Uh, just, just curious because we've had people asking us. Yeah, yeah and it, what's, what's the RFP typically on these six? So we're looking at an eight-month turnaround probably, right? Well, I'm hoping it's quicker than that. No, yeah, we'll award so, the contract. I mean, I'm just saying typically that's the time frame, right? You want to know when it's going to be out for construction, yes. I guess. Right. Um, yeah, I'll have to get you that schedule. Okay. We'll get that for you next, next by Thursday even. Yeah. 
So the 800 pound gorilla in the room is the discrepancy in the lowest bid and the highest bid. Is, does it, did nobody that not well, worry we, anybody? Or? It's not I mean, the first Don't get me though. wrong, but. We had that one, remember we had that one yeah. that uh, yeah. Lee brought in here where it was like $350,000 difference yeah. between them. Some people were very busy and said they. RG, I want to go on notice <laughs> that I had a concern about this. And then we'll see where we are in eight months. Yeah. No, well, they qualify them all. So, I mean, they're, I, I they're understand the process. So. Sure. Yeah, we, we I mean, check with the. Uh, so, I mean, you used a good firm. Low bidder, you get what you pay for? Is that what you're saying? Uh, that's not what I'm saying. There's an RFP. If they can do the job and meet the RFP requirements, then we did good. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what do we have budget in there? Do you know, Todd, off the top of your head? Uh, well, this is a DNR grant funding, so oh, it's so auto waterway know. grant, so okay. whatever it is, it is, but you know. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, I have no more comments. Thank you. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. All right. And our final item tonight is desk item two. This is a support letter. Uh, we sent this to, or sending this to the Caroline County Commissioners to support um, the proposal by MES to continue operations of the Midshore Two Regional Landfill in Ridgely, Maryland, uh, for another, well, through at least 2042. Years, right? Yeah. 2042, right? 2042. So I move to execute the letter of support to continue operations of the Midshore Two Regional Landfill. Second. We have a motion to second. Any discussion on this? It's a huge win for the county. If do, do you want to explain it's, the, the background yeah. behind how this actually, because of where the other landfill would go if this doesn't work? The way I, well, certainly. The way I understand it was an 80-year agreement, and Talbot did it for 20 years. And they didn't want to do it anymore. And then Caroline was doing it for 20 years. And we're doing it for 20. And then Kent. But Caroline has enough room that they're willing to take it for the next umpteen years, essentially. Yeah. So, you know, as, as you know, they build cells. Cells are by capacity. And they have two more cells that, that are part of the original uh, agreement. And they. They're going to build those, and they're going to pick up more than what they're going to need to get out to their final year per the contract. So they'll be getting a portion of the tipping fees, a portion of the recycle, and hopefully that adds up to about a million dollars a year that will go into their coffers for something that they don't have to do anything to. Right, and by the state. Yeah. So and Queens County benefits because that's right. We so don't we have to take host it. it. Well, we're going to host it, but we don't have to host it until 2042 and. Well, and let's do the environmental side of this. So they capped Talbot early because yes. recycling proved to be very beneficial to the fact that you did not fill these landfills up at the pace they thought. So they actually capped a landfill in Talbot that could have gone another, I think the estimate was 12 to 14 years. Um, so this is making full use of the space that was allocated instead of capping it and then not allowing it to be reusable for another 10 years anyway. So. It, it, like Jim said, it's a great win for Queen Anne's County um, in terms of now we have an opportunity to also look for maybe another place to put it here in the county um, for the instead next 19 in years instead of downtown Centerville. Yeah. Hey, but we got cannabis, so. I mean, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm not sure which would smell worse. So that's the end of that discussion. Stop. So all those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? So moved. Okay. That's it. We're that's going it. into press and public comment. You got anybody? Would anybody like to speak? Okay, seeing none, we'll close press and public comment. What did we do last year? Who started with last year? Was it five or f four or one? Okay, we'll start with one. Jack, you're up. 
Um, so I, I'm not literally not going to say anything tonight because uh, the end of the session is, I think, the night before our next meeting. So I'll wrap up all the chaos and circus that is Annapolis at that meeting. And I will so, defer my time that evening and, <laughs> and the following meeting to you. Yeah, there's still a lot going on. But honestly, all in all, I'd have to say, and Chris can chime in, he was in on uh, most of the MAKO meetings. It, it wasn't as bad as I think people thought it was going to be. Um, there, there are, don't get me wrong, there are some bills out there that should just stay in the drawer and go away and but you know all in all uh like we brought up the one that's very concerning with the uh, solar um permitting um and, and we're working hard to try to get that one defeated um but yep i'll wrap it up on the 11th sin dies the 10th so okay patrick you're district two uh any any pearls of wisdom that I should be expecting for the budget process going around to different places? No, I think. It, it, <laughs> Actually, I will tell you honestly. To answer your question, yeah. our staff is so thorough, so thorough that I, I don't think it'd be as difficult as you think, and I don't think you have anything to worry about. I'd say the, the Board of Ed, in my experience, Patrick, has always been the contentious one, and you'll either get a lot of people out for that or you'll get nobody out for it. Yeah, but we've also made a lot of strides with have, but working with the superintendent. I just, I, we've got three years left to do this, and uh, there's a lot going to happen. There's going to be a lot asking for a lot more money in the next three years than what they're asking for right yeah, now. Yeah, but that's a lot coming from the state level, right, that's pushing it down. Not really. I think. Supposed to, yeah, but it's not. No, right I'm now. saying the state pushing it down to us. Yeah, but what I'm saying is they already cut us this year. Well, we'll go over it. I'm sure in the budget, but they cut us a million dollars this year. So if they continue to do it at that rate, it's going to get a little expensive on our side. Yes. So you all, uh, since I'm still on the floor here, mm -hmm. you all got an invite to the uh, May 5th uh, planning meeting for the Carter Center, Whitsitt Center. And, and what to do with the vacant part. So, if y'all could respond to that, I, I think I thought two people already did. I, I did. I know I did. So. so, if you got two, we don't want to take a quorum there. Okay. Right. So, that's and Patrick, just that's pretty typical anyway. If you've got two going somewhere, okay, sending a third, fourth, and fifth is, I mean, you good? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You, you, uh... So Saturday night, I had the opportunity to attend the Sheriff's Award Gala that he puts on each year to recognize uh, the men and women of our Quinians County Sheriff's Office and the, um, the excellent work that they do. Uh, it was a, a great night. Um, and it was, uh, 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 there was also um, a point in the uh, evening where they recognized um, one of our um, assistant principals and athletic director uh, at one of our high schools um, for coordinating uh, with our resource officer the uh, investigation and ultimately the arrest of a, of a pedophile who was um, targeting our youth here in our county and, and with the help with the Maryland State Police, they were able to abduct this gentleman. And it all started with one of our students and our athletic director. Hmm. So, yep, smart kids at our high schools recognizing uh, the trash that are perousing our social media. Good. So yeah, it was a great night. 
Awesome. Anything? Uh, yeah, so um, not this Saturday, but the Saturday before, the Ken Island High School dance team went to the States. We talk about you know basketball and all that, but we just, and they won first place. Really? In jazz, hip hop, and lyrical. Really? Yeah. Very awesome. awesome. Yeah. And uh, one of the dancers got second place in the jump competition, and her name is Isabella Corcorino. Really? Yeah. Wow. They know her. So. Can you spell that? I don't know how to spell that. Okay. Now. You pronounced no. it right though, right? Yes, I got that one right. Um, so congratulations to the to the dance team for really? all their hard work. Yeah. Is it, is it a lot? Is it a big dance team or is it? Yeah, about a dozen probably. Yeah, I give good, or take. I'm going to get in trouble good. now. But thanks for calling me out for not knowing the number. No, that's okay. I mean, <laughs> I mean, some of them go in there with like 30 of them. Some, you know, and, yeah. and some of the competition was. Yeah. these big teams. And mm -hmm. so they were competing against some very good teams. So they worked really, really hard. Kudos. Kudos. And they didn't get a bus ride the other day. We did not get them a bus ride. <laughs> which which um, I was reminded of. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, maybe we could, if there's only a dozen, I think we might be able to throw them a meal or something. <laughs> we should have you know, done something. Or something. You know, some kind of meal, yeah. Okay. How about we have the dance team here at a commissioner's meeting and um, do something special for them with certificates of accomplishment? Your proclamation. In fact, I think we should do that. Not necessarily a proclamation as much as a certificates of, a, of like accomplishment. A pizza, a pizza instead? They probably like pizza then. They probably want pizza us. instead. Yeah. They don't want to come here and stare at us, I'm sure. The yeah. pizza would definitely be. <laughs> Please extend that offer I will to, that. to have them here at a commissioner's Uncle meeting. Phil's going to buy pizza. That's yeah, what I I'll heard. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, then, I'm just to say last uh, Thursday, awards. Last Thursday, we had the awards for the county yep. uh, over at the Kramer Center. It's also a good time, good food, good laughs. Some, you know, some characters coming up there that have been here for a long time that are staples of the community so I you know I, I look forward to that every year and that's it was a, a good time next Wednesday Bay Bridge Reconstruction Advisory Group meeting uh, I hope I hope we can get some media there uh, because I think the public needs to start hearing what's going on coming up ramping up to this redecking uh, steel plates are coming back hmm. and that's you know I mean it's just you want to get, share the news that uh the state has decided to back out of um, Langenfelder's? Uh, yeah, that's been said a lot, but yes, the, it's, the contractor, it's not the state, it's the mm -hmm. contractor. contractor. Contractor's opted to go somewhere else uh, with his manufacturing. Uh, my only question then is, since they left, part of the deal was that was gonna get all, you know. They, they still are gonna do the bulkhead improvements though. But, but the bulkheads don't do anything for us. DNR's keeping those, so. You know the the um, the grass, the trees, the grass, the trees, the cleaning all up the all the stuff. gravel and all the contamination. I don't know if that's even going to proceed now because I thought maybe the contractor was paying for that. So well, if the contractor's you know, going away, then I imagine that's going away. And so that means no use for the citizens of that property. So I'd like to see it opened up to the to the county, but not if we got to pay to clean it up. So you know that's a shame. So anyways, that's all I got. Motion. So hopefully they're not going to dump off of our island. The cement. Well, the, the, that is. That's still up here, right? That's still unresolved, right? Uh, well, let's. We can talk Find about it. Uh, that's next a meeting. Brag, but I mean, they they took the old concrete from the uh, the redecking project, and that's where it is. It's in the bay. It's all made for oyster reefs. So, you know, uh, my understanding was they weren't going to crush up these sections. They were just going to drop them in uh, for reefs. 
And you know, and, and reefs aren't a bad thing. So yeah, and if they could just but seven, if they could just dredge Manowar Shoals, that'd be uh, even we better. We would love to see that. I'm with you on that, Phil. You know that. Which actually, there's a movement again. Seventy-five-year-old. I sure hope that. There's a movement again to push that again. Yeah, like, well, the the Manowar Shoals. Mm -hmm. they, well, hopefully they can get to see through the light there. Well, we can kick in that can for what twelve years now. Well, we might get rid of a ton of sediment too. That's just sitting there on it because it's not but all the, churned. But up. all that shell that we know, need for think, think, for planting is, on these yeah. right. these reefs. But that's what they were saying is all the sediment that's on it now. Where you would turn it up and it could get refiltered out. Right now, it's just sitting there. Right. And every time we get a storm event, it's just, it just piles up. it even more. Margie so. says we have to adjourn. Oh. Oh, <laughs> I make a motion we adjourn. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you very much.